right, what's up to all the cinephiles out there? Welcome to another episode of the Marquee Spotlight, coming to you from the always sunny Portland, Oregon. I'm your host, Spencer Bailey, and I'm here with my co-host. She has a terrible habit of tying women to railroad tracks while twisting her mustache. Chelsea Burnett. Hi, my gosh, it's been a minute. Happy to be back. Oh, it's always fun when we do these. Uh, So that was alluding to our spotlight topic of the day, villains, specifically movie villains. That's right, we're bringing back the top 10 game because we just love playing this game so much. But this is an expanded version of the game. As usual, though, in order to play this game, we need a third person. So we have a returning guest. He also has a nasty habit. He is constantly giving away his master plan instead of just killing the hero. Sam Robb, welcome back. Good to be here. Hoping I can be the villain of today. Well, that Very somebody apropos. usually is with this, <laughs> with this game, except I think when we did it with your mom, Chelsea, she was her own villain. So <laughs> <laughs> She was throwing herself under the bus. All yeah. of her picks under Freezing, the bus. Freezing, Spencer. When so. we did it with your mom, come on. Oh, come on. Come on, Sam. Uh, well, we are – so as I said – this is going to be expanded version of the game. Now, if you listen to the past episodes, typically what we do with this game is we do a top 10 of whatever topic it is. We, with the subject of movie villains, mm-hmm. it's so broad. It is. And, like, there's no way we could just do 10. So I thought, well, let's expand it to 20. Well, then you're making three people pick 20. That's kind of weird. We're just bumping it to 21. Everybody gets a nice round seven choices. Uh, ranking is probably going to be crazy. Yeah. But uh, I'm just, I've been so pumped to record this for a while. Me too. It's been it's been great getting myself in like the villain mindset and trying like I I don't know about you guys but kind of my first thought went to like what were the villains of my childhood like who scared like who were the first villains to really scare me and then kind of going from there. So, I'm very curious what you guys are going to bring to the table. Absolutely. I think it's really interesting too trying to sort of analyze your through line of like, all right, what's consistent in the villains that either I find interesting or the ones that actually scared me or the ones I hated and just seeing what those sort of consistent traits are um, sort of throughout time. Because again, like you said, going from childhood to adulthood, some of those villains, like, yeah, you know, may have scared me when I was a kid. And then, but some as adults, like, yep, still hate that guy. Still, you know, terrified. Just, just really depends. And hate versus terrify, I think is a very, because some, uh, some just get under your skin, while others are more um, are, are more just pure evil or, or scary. Well, we're really excited to get into that. Before we do, we're not doing news today. Uh, we, we're going to talk about something else. Real quick, I just want to say, so I just got back. Uh, I was telling Chelsea and Sam off mic. I just got back from a trip down to Southern California. And shout out to my sister, Hillary. Hillary? Um, she uh, works at the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures. And uh, she... Gave me the grand tour while I was down there. And folks, if you're down in L.A., I cannot recommend going enough. I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you like movies. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, I, I mean, every single piece, uh, every single setup. I mean, they had the original pianos from Casablanca in there. Ingrid Bergman's diary, a whole Godfather section, all these props from, from famous movies under glass. I was absolutely blown away. Cannot recommend it enough. Um, but I, I wanted to talk real quick about 2003 in general. As you said, Chelsea, it's been a while since we recorded. This was a fucking killer year movies. And I, I remember we, um, we were kind of gushing over 2021. And I, looking back, I think that was because 2020 was not good. <laughs> yeah. We, so in comparison, anything was going to be better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like 2020 had some good movies, but COVID really held it back. Dune, No Time to Die. We enjoyed 2021. 
Well, then 2022 came out and we got like tarred everything everywhere at once. And it's like, oh shit, this is even better. But 2023, this is like the most loaded year since 2019, probably. Yeah. And it may be hack to say it because I know everyone's saying it, but the movies do feel like they're back. Like you're, we're, that, that energy is in the air. I agree. And it, this stuff's kind of cyclical, right? Like in the 80s, things got really into like sequels and, you know, not, not, well, <laughs> movies with substance were winning Best Picture, but they weren't like fun, right? Like Gandhi's a good movie, but I'm never going to watch it again, you know? Ordinary People is a great movie, but it's a downer, yeah. you know? And we're getting back to, I think, like, you know, the superhero stuff's dying a little bit. Thank Christ. What's that? Thank Christ. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, it was great for a few years, but then it's just like everything's exactly the same. Uh, and I feel like people are taking risks again a little bit. Um, you know, even going back last year, I think Tar was a risk. I think some movies this year are a risk. But uh, I just want to talk a little bit about what were some of the movies that stood out to you because we're coming up on the Oscars from 2023. I mean, obviously, Chelsea, we we talked about several in past episodes. Yeah. So it's like, what's one that, you, you know, both of you – yeah, Sam, you're the I want guest. Sam go to go first. first, yeah. Of the Oscar contenders, generally speaking, Holdovers was really the only one that really hit me hard and the, and really the only one, that, you know, a lot that I respected, but that was the one that was like, I know I'm going to be watching that, you know, at least 10 more times in my life in the near future. Um, always fun with something you can watch, you know, with anyone, whether it's spouse, family, you know, stranger, whoever, and you just know confidently, like, everyone's going to love this movie who sees it. Just nothing not to love. And I'm just always been a huge Paul Giamatti guy and, and just nice to see him in something be, besides billions. That's, did, you, did you listen to his interview on Marin? I did not listen to Marin when I listened to two other ones with him elsewhere, but he's fascinating, fascinating life story. Um, dad was the, again, I think head of Princeton and then became the it was Yale, Yale and then GM of major league baseball. Like, what, <laughs> it's like, what is yeah, your life? Super, man? super. Wow. <laughs> uh, it was, it was a good conversation. They just had a lot of fun. They were, like, making each other laugh and, like, laughing about stuff. It, it You know, Paul Giamatti just really seems like super down-to-earth guy. Without a doubt. Uh, Holdovers is great. And uh, I like Alexander Payne. Obviously, Election's great. Um, Sideways. 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 Descendants. Is so yeah. funny. Yeah, Descendants. I forgot he did Descendants. I like that movie. And then we talked about it on, on a previous episode, but I think About Schmidt is super underrated. I love My that blind movie. blind spot. I've never seen it. Oh, I... I Definitely watch it, Chelsea. It's the the story's awesome, and it's probably one of my favorite endings to a movie ever. I, I don't know why people kind of slept on it. I don't I don't really get it. But um, what else? Anything else, Sam? Saying out to you? To, to be and again, we'll we'll get into this in the Oscars pod later. But it was sort of a year where I liked a lot of things, but wasn't as head over heel enamored with as much as I would have wanted. Um, honestly, though, Godzilla minus one was sort of the big surprise for me. It was I, I got dragged to that with a friend, and really, yeah fucking great and and pretty emotionally touching and just again zero expectations and you know really really nailed it for me was yeah. the movie going experience for that part of the fun like was it a pretty packed theater no or? we went on like a wednesday yeah. night at lloyd center so okay. not not super packed but again a good little good little crowd in the middle and um but yeah just and again just reinforces of it doesn't have to be a huge budget you know it's not all about you know cgi looking perfect it's a pretty you know static the monster couldn't turn his head, but it didn't matter. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and what I'll say, since you brought up Godzilla Minus One, um, I was also impressed. Uh, but I, I think it should be somewhere in the middle. You hear a Godzilla movie's good, and your reaction is go, come on. And then you see it, and it's it's like, wow, that was that was really good. There was actually themes of, uh, you know, grief and, and, and moving forward after tragedy. And it was, all the humanistic stuff 
was what the movie was about. It wasn't about Godzilla. But, you know, the internet people are like, why isn't this up for best picture? Okay. Well, it's still Godzilla. Yeah, it's still Godzilla. <laughs> it's like, just, like, relax. Yeah. Let's fucking relax. It's, you know, as we talked before, same with Barbie. There's still a ceiling of how good a Godzilla movie can be, how good a movie about Barbie can be. Like, there are ceilings to some of this stuff. Absolutely. Well, Chels, what about you? Uh, I know you're still catching up. Uh, yes. on this year but you've you've knocked out quite a few yeah i think i'm gonna come to the table and i'm just gonna be here to defend wonka and say that movie is <laughs> pure joy it's delightful shameless I, chalamet I, plug <laughs> it, it is a shameless chalamet plug but i will admit i as much as i adore him i went into that feeling a little skeptical i was like i don't know how he's gonna pull this off this does not seem to be in his wheelhouse and damn that that kid is so charming. There is there is something about him. So um, uh, I also am a fan of the Paddington movies. I'm not going to say, oh, they're masterpieces. Like I know a lot of people uh, kind of jokingly say about Paddington. Those are delightful and sweet movies. Um, and I think that that filmmaker brought that same kind of magic to Wonka and made me a believer that Timothy Chalamet can, can uh, lead a musical. So... Should we expect any Wonka erotic fan fiction from you anytime soon? <laughs> I'm not a good enough writer to do fan fiction. So um, maybe I'll be uh, Googling it. Who knows? <laughs> but, any other ones stand out to you? Um, you know, um, I, I, I'm i going to give a little love to, to Nyad. I've really enjoyed that movie. I really love Jodie Foster in it. And I'm so happy to see her getting recognition um, for um, her role, her supporting role in that, and uh, Annette Benning, I think, is always a powerhouse too, and is doing great work. But I think that um, seeing Jodie Foster again, and now with her in um, True Detective: Night Country, I'm I'm on this real high, like this real Jodie high, and I'm I think I may have mentioned to you, Spencer, that I would love for us to consider doing an episode about her. Um, Jodie Foster, yeah, well, yeah like I'm going to say no to that. Yeah. So um, I, I the movie is not. Uh, I think watch the movie for the performances more um, than the overall like structure of it. But um, but yeah, I just wanted to to say how much I love Jodie Foster and I I really enjoyed Nyad. It was I was. With Netflix content, I'm always like, oh, I kind of go in just like with a squint, like, is what's this going to be? But I have no regrets about it. It was all in all a really great, great time. I haven't watched it yet, uh, but I heard that if you're going to watch it, um, it, 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 you watch it for the performances. Look, I love Annette Bening, too. I think it's crazy like that she's never won an Oscar. She's been nominated like six times mm-hmm. or something. Well, they um, say Hillary Swank stole it from her twice. Stole, I think that's unfair. I think Hillary Swank completely deserved it for Boys Don't Cry. I've never seen Million Dollar Baby, but those were like two years where I think Annette Benning was probably the second place. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't like that either. That's stolen. I, I mean, there's some years that don't make any sense. I mean, we all don't. No, none of us, none of us in this room, none of us that love movies understand Art Carney winning over Al Pacino for The Godfather 2, but um it is what it is you know but they, they, the oscars don't really mean anything they're just fun to talk about but yeah. i love annette benning i i so, man i tell you some of her early movies like you go watch the grifters with her and john cusack and angela uh, houston angelica houston and uh i'm like oh warm Beatty. i see why you finally settled down like she's amazing mm-hmm. right? um well for me there's so there's a couple ones i want to talk about so uh may december which i just uh i 
I was expecting like a solid movie, but I just really, really liked it. And uh, I can't believe that nobody's nominated for any of this. I don't even think it got a screenplay nomination, didn't did it? I don't think it did, but I'm right with you. May December was phenomenal. Um, it, it is so hard to balance a serious subject and humor. And that movie was so goddamn funny. And people look at me like I'm weird for saying that. No, Brittany, her take on it was how funny it was, too. And I was like, wow, you and Spencer are the ones. I really enjoyed it, but I I think I didn't pick up on exactly that, that that needle that it was threading with with just how funny it, it could yeah. be with such a serious subject and yeah. it definitely gets heavy at times right i mean there's times where it's not funny and we have to like take this in especially if you're old enough to remember the mary kay letourneau stuff uh it's you know it's unsettling it's not fun but like the, the movie was you know doing a commentary on actors and i mean i think that's part of why i didn't get any nominations <laughs> hit a little too close to home for some yeah. people absolutely well said i mean yeah i mean uh i mean there was a couple parts where we straight up had to pause it like Lacey had to pause a movie because i could not stop laughing uh I, the ending the last thing that happens i i, I had tears coming out of my face i could not stop laughing because i just wasn't expecting that I, like after all that that's what it was for so i don't know todd haynes like great job Awesome movie. But then for Charles Melton to break your heart at the yes. same time. I mean, that uh, that scene on the roof with his son. Who's I, only like just, 15 years younger than him. Yeah, I mean. like I, I – and again, I was just talking to Brittany about it, and she was like, who knew this guy from Riverdale could pull out a performance like that? So, yeah. um, well, And one of the things yeah. I always judge films on too is, you know, what sort of conversation does it spark afterwards? And I yeah. think this year for me, May, December – and past lives were probably the two that led to the most interesting post-film conversation with friends. Yeah. Um, this, and, and I'd say May, December actually was probably the most divisive where some people got pretty upset in the room and others, yeah, I think just some differing perspectives of uh, sort of the, you know, the way we view those sort of relationships, you know, when again, when the, the females older versus men, and again, that's sort of a, something we've seen again, without getting too deep, but it, you know, how you view it one way when it's, uh, you know, females as the older versus male and just sort of that whole dynamic. She was never, I thought it was so key that they, she was never referred to as a pedophile in that movie. Exactly. She is a pedophile, what she did. And, uh, I was like, it, it was so smart how they showed how she manipulated everyone in her life and like feeling sorry for her. And, whereas like no one could really paint her as an outright villain for what she did. Um, and uh, and Jul- Julianne Moore played it Amazing. so cunningly. Amazing. And honestly, I mean, speaking of like the Jodie Foster train, Julianne Moore is sort of right there where it's like, man, you, you've been in our lives for 30 plus years now and you're just consistently so good. And, you know, again, I never regret watching a Julianne Moore movie. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, and there's just little touches that were really great, like making that comment to her daughter, tried on that dress. And then later on, it's not alluded to, but she's wearing a very similar dress that she just made that comment. I mean, little stuff like that was really smart. The other ones I wanted to talk about. So, so I'm going to talk about two in tandem and then one more. So I, I actually got irritated at the end of this year and it was because of two movies, Ferrari and Maestro. I like both of those movies much more than the public did seem to. Um, and I don't get what you guys want because I'm not a biopic person. Just not at all. They, I, they're boring. Most of them are just so boring to me. It depends. Like Malcolm X is amazing. You know, Walk, walk the Line is pretty good. But a lot of them, I'm like, I've never watched Ray because I'm just like, I know I'm going to be cripplingly bored. Um, 
So here we have. I think you should give Ray a shot. I, I saw it in theaters as a freshman in high school. It was like an event for me and my friend Cassie. We were like, oh, we are going to make a night of this. We're going to go <laughs> see Ray. I still don't really know why we were so inspired. But have you gone back I, to it? Um, yeah, I have. <laughs> and uh, I still I mean, I, I, I think Jamie Foxx's performance will totally suck you in. Oh, I bet. Um, but that's why I love Walk Hard too. And that's it's, Walk Hard is always funny. I mean, if you know anything mm. about music history and biopics, you know. But so let's start with so let's start with Ferrari. I you, you know I love Michael Mann. We've we've talked about it all, off mic on mic. I love Michael Mann. I really like Ferrari, and I, people are like people. Okay, most of the people that like complain about it, I'm pretty sure were just they went in thinking they were getting Ford versus Ferrari. That's not what the movie is, and it's not even about Enzo Ferrari's entire life. Um, but what it was was really well done. And then for Maestro, I get some of the complaints people have about that movie. But listen, we're all so sick of the same formulaic biopics, right? Like somebody's a kid and they figure out they're good at something. So they keep doing it. And then they go through trials and tribulations as an adult. And now they're old or they died. And we got to like these two movies did something different. I thought they were both really interesting. I thought Maestro, what Maestro did was interesting. And I had a lot more to say in my letterbox review, but it's not perfect. I understand what some people are saying, but I, I thought the movie was fascinating as I was watching it. And I think that the um, orchestral scene, like when he's, when he's being a Maestro at that one scene, one of the best movie scenes of the year. Uh, so I, I don't know. What do you people want? Somebody tried, somebody tried something. They tried something different and you don't like it. Like what? <laughs> I, I haven't watched my story yet, but I am curious. As you're obviously very passionate about it, <laughs> how did it compare to Tar for you? Uh, it doesn't compare at all. Okay. I mean, to me, Tar is is more in the vein of like There Will Be Blood. It's a character study about a flawed human being, and Maestro was taking this larger than life real person, and it was more taking aspects of his life, uh, so we could relate to these you know, human interaction stuff in there with him and his wife. Carrie Mulligan is amazing in the movie. She's, I mean, if they gave it to her finally this year, they're not going to. It's going to be Lily Gladstone or Emma Stone, I'm sure. I, but she's so good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's two totally different movies. I think Tar is way more complex. I, a movie that I'm going to watch over and over and always see something different. Um, and Maestro was doing something different. And then, of course, the last movie I want to talk about, which is also one that people are disappointed with, and to those people I say, get over it. Uh, the Killer, I know, mm. David Fincher. Loved it. So good. Yeah. Like, did you people really think that David Fincher was going to make a fucking Hitman revenge movie? When has he ever made anything straightforward like that? And how did you not watch the movie and see what he was doing? You walked out going, well, that was a boring action movie. No, that's not... It, that's not what it is. I don't know how anyone could describe it as boring. Uh, David Fincher doesn't really. Well, sorry. I will say Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I don't find that movie very fun or entertaining. But I, I, I think almost everything else movie. he makes is it. You can't call it boring. I yeah. I don't know. You you Sam. You just said you loved it too. Loved it. Saw it uh, opening night in theaters, and again, really happy. Got to see it on the big screen at Same Hollywood, here. and yeah, just just absolutely loved it. Um, I mean, he got a little lazy with the soundtrack going all Smiths, but what are you going to do? But I think that that was a commentary Joking. too. It was so funny to me. This guy's about to go kill people. He's listening to there's a light that never goes out. It's so fucking hilarious. I mean, I, I like, I love when it was so smart. He took the whole hit me with a heart of gold thing and flipped it on its head. Like when he's like digging the, the, the cache of weapons out of the ground, like all of John wick. 
And you're like, oh, is this going to be like a John Wick revenge movie? And then he shoots that cab driver for no reason. You're like, oh, no, this is just a bad person. This is like mm. a terrible person with no, like, you know, no redeeming qualities. Oh, and, and Fassbender is my favorite working actor today. And really he, good to see him get out of the uh, Iceman purgatory that he's been in for <laughs> about the last five years. He's raising kids and racing cars. But I don't know. It was so funny, too, how he's like, he's bad at his job. He's sitting here going like, yes, so if I do all these things. I'll be perfect in my job. And it's like, well, no, you're, you're, you're not very good at your job. No, I, Yeah, he does the math calculation. All right, two nails to the chest should breathe for another five minutes. And after like 30 <laughs> seconds, the guy's already done. He's like, huh, <laughs> okay. It's great. That's great. Dude, if, if you've watched Killer and found it underwhelming, watch it again, but watch it as like a David Fincher movie. Don't watch it as a fucking straight-to-streaming action movie. Mm-hmm. That's not what it is. I really liked how his humanity came out in little glimpses, too. Like, it wasn't like he was just stone cold, like, the entire time. Yes, he, I guess you could call him a sociopath in some respects. But I I think that it was all believable. Like, the, the care that he had for that uh, the woman, his, uh, yeah. lo- I don't know, yeah, the, romantic, the, partner. The romantic partner. It all like it wasn't like uh, it felt it never felt cloying or uh, false. Like it just was like, oh, yes, like he cares about her. He will do what he can to protect her. And then also in the moments when he screwed up, like you could see uh, him acknowledge that he screwed up or the the mercy he sort of showed that woman by pushing her down the stairs instead of of, uh, making her body disappear. Yeah. Yeah. A lot lot of humanity. Yeah, but that you're making a great point, and that's another funny aspect of the movie. Like I've seen so many people say, where he's like, "I don't give a fuck," it was so cringe. It's like it's supposed to be because he's full of shit. Mm-hmm. He's trying to act like he doesn't care, but he doesn't kill the dog. Mm-hmm. He has someone in his life he cares about. He compassionately kills that one woman. I, I don't know. Movie is so much deeper than people thought it was. Watch the killer again, you casuals. <laughs> All right. Uh, any other 2023 movies you want to hit on? I'll just I just because I I know you guys are going to re- be recording the Oscars podcast, but I finally got around to seeing Killers of the Flower Moon, and I I fantastic. You say a movie that sparked great conversation, and kind of using that as like a barometer for how good a movie was. But like, I don't think there's been a movie Micah or I have talked about as much in like you know back and forth, like days on end talking about it. We'll like think more about it and want to talk. And um, I I'm really excited to hear what you two have to say during the oscars episode about that so great yes as chelsea's losing to you sam's gonna do the oscars recap with me this year so where's chelsea <laughs> i'm you know what jordy is has other plans for me i i can't quite keep up with all the all the the movies but it's okay and i would say by this time next year i'll be i'll be seeing more movies so mike and i already have a movie date on the books for later this month i so. hope you made your toddler watch the three and a half hour depressing movie that is killers of <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick little break, and we're going to come back with the 21 greatest movie villains of all time. And we're back, talking villains. So, Chelsea, when you think about movie villains, specifically movie villains, because, I mean, you know, sometimes... Movies are adapted from books, and there'll be a famous, you know, villain in a book. But what makes a, so, someone a strong movie villain? I think a strong movie villain has to have strong conviction. Like you, they need to make their intentions very clear 
um, of no, Mister Bond. I expect you to die. <laughs> and I think that the the better the villain, the better the movie on a whole is, and the better our protagonist will be, or the more invested we are in whatever the protagonist is doing. So, a good villain drives a really good plot, in in my opinion. Yeah, Sam, your thoughts. To me, what makes a good villain, I guess, again, I sort of look back like, what what do I love? And I think the consistent thing is either sort of contrast. Like you have a villain who's legitimately really evil, really scary, really terrifying, or as sort of as a counterpoint, sort of just like the whiny, obnoxious, just God, you want to fucking strangle them because they're just just terrible people. You know, they're, they're sort of, you know, just different different levels of villain and you know evil and but again whether it's like the small petty stuff or you know the large mass murder stuff you can hate them or fear them equally i like petty i wrote that down as something that i really i like in my villains when they're petty yeah i agree i really like when it's just like just fucking sinister man like there's just i mean this is just true evil like those are always usually my favorite uh just going out of their way to be evil are usually my favorite um and also, we talked off Mike. you know, there's a big difference. When we say villain, there's a difference between a villain and an antagonist. Every antagonist is not a villain, right? You think of sports movies where the sports protagonist has a rival. That doesn't mean that, that the, other, the rival is a, is a villain. Or like a prime example we came up with is like Iceman and Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Iceman's not a bad person. As we come to find out, Top Gun Maverick, uh, he is the antagonist to Maverick. Or maybe, I mean... By by all accounts, you know, in, in, in Iceman's world, Maverick's the antagonist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's kind of the criteria we're going to be thinking about, true villains. And, you know, one thing that's so fun about this game, and we've talked about in the past, is, you know, we're making a list together. This is not, it's it's mildly competitive, but it's not that competitive. We probably have a lot of the same picks. So you got to be strategic, because here's the thing. We're building a list of the 21 best movie villains. There's people that, there's characters that have got to be on this list. So somebody's got to pick them. We can't get too cute. We can't just be making all of our own deep pools. But how do you decide when you make a deep pool versus how when you make an obvious pick? That's what makes this so fun. And like Chelsea in the past, like we've had some some exciting showdowns on some of these lists. <laughs> and I th- maybe in what we'll find out, if there are some people that are going to bring some some deep pulls, maybe it's going to be because that performance, just like that actor just completely transformed themselves and you can never forget that, like maybe like chilled you to, to the bone, like what they were able to a- accomplish and do. So, And I guess I'm curious too, when you guys were analyzing your list, did you see a lot of overlap sort of as far as like, what type of villain you hated in movies versus what type of behavior you hate in real life? Uh, that's a great question, Sam. I, uh, I honestly, man, I, I think as I was making, I, so my list was like a mixture of obvious picks and villains from like movies that I love. There's just villains that I love. And there were some obvious ones that I'm like, that's, that's too, there were definitely villains that I'm like, that's too cheap. It's too, too obvious. I'm not going to do that. Um, but there are some, they're just like, whether it was the performance, the way the character was written, the uniqueness, those are the people that I picked in conjunction with, you know, there's a lot of crossover with what I just described and obvious picks. Yeah, I think um, that is a great question to think about. I have a couple of choices on my list that I feel like 
the the villainy in it was very like grounded in reality and so um yeah but i uh on the on the yeah i, I haven't thought much about a theme to my pick so maybe i'll come to it at the end of it all um so ranking this is probably going to be challenging, but we're, we'll get to that when the time comes. Uh, so the order, we always we always pick the order before we start recording. It's going to be Sam, Chelsea, and then me, or excuse me, Sam, me, then Chelsea. And because we evened it out, no bonus pick this time. We normally have the bonus pick to make it 10. Ah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I've been cultivating my list. I'm ready to go. Is everybody ready? So ready. ready. All right, let's dive into this. So Sam, with your first pick, I'm sure it's going to be Deep Pool. I'm expecting Leslie Nielsen from Surf Ninjas, but uh, <laughs> what is your first pick? So for my number one, uh, I think I'm going to have to step on your Ridley Scott podcast going Commodus from Gladiator. Yo, on oh. my long list. On my long list. Great fucking pick. And, and again, I mean, he he really falls under just exactly what I hate, which is the <laughs> entitled, whiny, bratty, privileged, and just fucking pathetic. And, and I think, too, particularly in that film, having a character in Russell Crowe that you love so much and are rooting for so much and having to see him get taken down by this little just piece of garbage, it's just so, so upsetting. You know, it's it's – yeah, it just—he's everything I want in a villain, and, and I mean the the iconic, the thumbs up, thumbs down, yeah. the you simply won't die. <laughs> I mean, it's busy little bee. I mean, it's just pure evil, and um, I, I think that and signs were sort of my first introduction mm-hmm. to Walking Phoenix, and I mean, he's just fantastic. Yeah, I, man, it—you know what's so great about the character is the complexity because you sympathize with him at, at moments, especially early on. You know, when, Daddy doesn't love me. Yeah, yeah Daddy doesn't love daddy me. Daddy issues. And, you know, I have courage, maybe not on the battlefield, but there's different kinds of courage. Like, he's trying so hard to get favor with his father's eyes. And, I mean, obviously, this is all embellished for the movie. Um, but, yeah, dude. It, the, am I not merciful scene, which I apparently was partially ad-libbed. Like, he grabbed her. He's like, I'm going to grab your face. Off, You know, he, he, he put all that in. Screaming in her face after not. I, I think he was supposed to ask it, like, once. He grabs her face and screams in her face. Am I not merciful? Just. Grade A villain acting. Hmm. I like you bringing up uh, signs as well. I think that it is a perf- – I'm always going to defend signs. I love that movie, and I think that it shows Joaquin Phoenix's range between those two performances so well. Um, but uh, I – yeah, I, I love the pick. There's going to be no fight for me in adding him to the list. Great one, Sam. He was – he. I was actually like well, – I get around six or seven, like, might be picking Commodus. So he's just everything I want in a villain. Thanks for knocking off one of my deep pulls. All right. So next one for me. Uh, this, as soon as we had this idea, th- this is actually the character that gave me this idea when I when I told you about it, Chelsea. Okay. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna knock it out right off the bat. Amazing Amy Dunn from oh, Gone Girl. All right. Just rewatched Gone Girl again yesterday. I just rewatched it a few months ago to get ready for the killer. Seriously, creeping up my fin- my Fincher list. It, I mean. Seven's probably always going to be my, my number one because that was such an, a gateway movie for me. Social Network and Zodiac, probably objectively the two best movies Fincher made. But Gone Girl is so good. It's I mean, it's perfect. I, I can't knock anything about it. But yeah. when you're just talking about Amy Dunn, fucking no redeeming qualities. Just just awful through and through. And, and I, I have to bring up, when this movie gets brought up, I hear so often. I just listened to the Blank Check podcast and they, where they talked about Gone Girl. And I, I've heard the same thing from other people. They say it's like, they're both awful people. Okay, listen. 
Nick Dunn is a schmuck and a self-centered jagoff. I mean, he absolutely is. She's a fucking psychopath. This is not like we don't need you to be an enlightened centrist about the Dunns. Like, I mean, seriously, she's so sociopathic. She's so mad. I mean, she says it. He doesn't get to win. Win what? You're going to frame him for murder and kill yourself? And that makes you equal? And then she kills an innocent person to keep the charade going? They're not equal. She is evil incarnate. And she sunk her claws in. I mean, like, credit to Ben Affleck for how he played that role because you can see that he because he's so sort of self-absorbed in his own way like he's not gonna pick up on that he's being manipulated by her along the line that she put on the cool girl act to land him and to and and then as it goes from there but um you say she has no redeeming qualities but i think the most attractive quality in her is that she uh that's just her her beauty so uh that i guess you can you can give that to rosamund pike (laughs) but um uh but um no that's that's awesome i i just watched saltburn and it was really fun to see rosamund pike and um just having fun again in a role like i thought i feel like she had in gone girl i think that willingness to just completely ruin someone's life is is a pretty fun real world sort of evil and and i think that feeling it i think just gives you maybe as a guy specifically um you know in a marriage or a relationship where i just know it's again not to go too deep into the past but a situation where you feel like man my future is completely in the hands of someone else and they control my fate is a really terrifying feeling and you know sort of that evil to just not give a shit about destroying someone's life is a, it's a very real sort of evil. Yeah. And, and, you know, before we move on, Chelsea, you bring up just Rosamund Pike as an actress. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Every time I watch that movie, I'm more and more impressed with her. All the tiny little details, the things she does, the fact that she had to lose, she lost 13 pounds and gained it back several times mm-hmm. uh, for all the different scenes. Um, looking back at those Oscars, we were just talking about Julianne Moore. We all love Julianne Moore, right? She's amazing. All-time great actress. That was the year she won her only Oscar for Still Alice. Great performance, but I also think it was kind of a, we should have given you one by now. So let's roll things back. Uh, Kim Basinger, yeah, you were, you were good in LA Confidential. I just rewatched that. Let's go back, give Julianne Moore the Oscar for Boogie Nights, which she really deserved. Definitely. And then we can give Rosamund Pike the Oscar she deserved for Gone Girl because that was the best actress performance that year, and I will, I will accept no arguments to the contrary. Hmm. Yeah. She she embodied and and she elevated I think the the character as well. From I read the book and the book is is incredible, but uh, but she was able to give her own take on it. Yeah. Lo- love the pick. A little surprised that early that that was not one I was expecting the, the, this early for for a number one pick. Never. I mean, I honestly, if one if somebody had picked her before me, I think I would have I would have stormed out of my own house. I'm not <laughs> All right, Chelsea, it's your turn. What is your first pick? My first pick is um, maybe a little silly, but uh, I, I, I believe strongly that he is an iconic villain and should be on our list. Um, Will Ferrell as Mugatu from Zoolander. <laughs> so, um, uh, I, I think Zoolander is a pitch-perfect comedy, and um, I think that at the center, center of it is, is Mugatu. Uh, everything, you know... All of the hijinks and ridiculous 
greatness of that movie um, is all, you know, I think it, it is, it's crucial that we have this, this performance that we got from Will Ferrell um, playing this just demented uh, a fashion designer and all of his, his cast of characters with his, his uh, sidekicks, henchmen, um, Inca, Tinka, Gabovina Nana, however. Uh, Last time yeah. you brought this movie up on the podcast, you said her name perfectly. <laughs> okay. But yes, shout out to Mila Jovovich for completely transforming herself to play that role. But um, I mean, there's too many, there's there's too many lines uh, for me to just sit here and Hansel's quote now. so but, hot right uh, now. <laughs> uh, I mean, just, I'm little Cletus when they're showing him, when they're trying to brainwash uh, Derek. <laughs> and uh, uh, I... I I just love it. I love Mugatu. I love Will Ferrell. I love Zoolander. Um, speechless. What a pick! Wow. <laughs> uh, I, I, obviously, I'm going to allow it. He's the villain of the movie, but I I will push back and say I'm not even sure he's a villain. I feel like I identify with him more than anyone else <laughs> in that movie. When he's like, "Am I taking fucking crazy pills?" Like that. I say he's that got one like, look. <laughs> yeah, no, he's the only sane person in the movie. <laughs> and do lattes make you gassy and bloated as well? And uh, a, f- a foamy latte? <laughs> no, that's the one part I don't identify with. But him being able to look around and go, this is madness. And I just know how to manipulate the system. I think he's the only smart person in the movie. I thought gasoline was the villain of that movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. And orange mocha frappuccinos. <laughs> I, I do have one question. I, I never saw Zoolander 2. Do we get more Mugatu backstory, history, origin? I, I, I heard, I heard it was awful. I lo- yeah. So I just I couldn't bring it. myself to watch it because I don't want it to tarnish my love Fair. of the – we, we, I guess we all in unison made that same move. <laughs> there you go. Okay, fun pick, Chels. That's absolutely. Uh, okay, Sam, time for your second pick. This is going to be my most mainstream of all the picks, but in a way different than what you might expect. Okay. Uh, we're going to go Star Wars, but we're not going Vader. We're what? going Darth Sidious in Return of the Jedi. Holy shit. <laughs> he is the most pure evil enjoyment of evil embodiment in a film I've ever seen. Oh, you're talking about the emperor. Yes. Oh yeah. No, I'm fine. I I, I quote him all the time. And I mean, just the joy he gets in telling Luke Skywalker, I'm afraid for your friends. The shield generator will be quite operational. (laughs) Just (laughs) laughing while telling him that all your friends are going to die. I've never seen such pure joy in just (laughs) telling someone like, I just murdered all your friends. Fuck you. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I'm inclined to agree with you. Obviously, if somebody did pick Vader, does pick Vader, I mean, great villain. Who's who's going to blame that? But obviously, Vader is much much more much, complex, much more complex, much deeper. Like what it is to be a villain, and and Darth Sidious is just straight up like, I want power, like. And I mean the look. I mean he's just so old and wrinkled and just <laughs> oh, smirking yeah. evilly all the time. And Fra- what I do Fry, love about Fry him is Luke right in front of his dad. And what I do love though is, I mean, with him, for again, I don't think he was in the first film at all, but you don't really see him do anything. And you're like, all right, why is Darth Vader this ultimate badass cowtoeing to this fucking old yeah. man in a cloak? And it's like, you know what? You know, you sort of wonder, like, is he just manipulating him? But then you actually see, oh fuck, this guy's lightning coming out of his hands. Like he actually, you know. It has a whole other mastery of the force and is actually really dangerous and yeah. powerful in his own way. Um, but like doesn't even have to use it 90% of the time because his Vader is his little boy toy to, to do his bidding. Well, and he couldn't, you know, he was like, you couldn't convert your son. Let me handle it. He's like, come on, Luke, just, just kill. It's like, kill yeah, me. I'll, I'll have no problem murdering your son in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. Literally not one hesitation. 
I uh, I will admit that I I don't I'm I'm not really up on I've like seen the Star Wars movies but I'm not like really like uh, steeped in all of I don't have a strong knowledge of them or background but I'm I'm fine with this I kind of know what you're talking about and have at it I I'm not going to be the person to say we can't have a villain from Star Wars on the list so no um, if anything you've been, you've inspired me to go back and watch Return he's my Jedi. favorite part of the original trilogy bar none well uh, yeah. I mean, I when I when I was making my list, he crossed my mind. Um, I, I, I mean, that's why this is so much fun. I mean, look at all the the different ways you could go. It's great. So great pick, Sam. All right, for my second pick, I'm gonna be honest. I kind of can't believe I'm getting this person in the second round. I mean, I know we have a lot to choose from, but uh, just also rewatch this movie for, to prepare for this podcast. Uh, I'm thinking Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. Um, just com- evil personified. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know that the, probably the original intent of Cormac McCarthy was that he's a representation of death, like all uh, death from the seventh seal or something like that, but even more evil. You know, I think they said that uh, there's a uh, panel of psychologists that said he's the most accurate psychopath in film history. Uh, you know, the, all the talk about how uh, Javier Bardem and the Coens were like, We've got to pick an unsettling haircut. We've got to pick unsettling clothes. Like, we have to do all these things. You know, um, I mean, God, I could talk about, we could talk about this character for hours. You know, the, I got here the same way the coin did scene. He's like, you know, telling uh, Llewellyn's wife, like, she's like, you don't have to do, he's like, no, you don't understand. Like, I can't help this. Like, we have to do this. There's no getting out of this. And then, the brilliant move to just cut to him walking out of the house and checking his boots. Oh, just, uh, it's amazing, man. I, I cannot think of a better example of true life evil personified. No, he was definitely going to be next on my list. Um, favorite scene for me is probably that overhead shot of him strangling the guy on the floor and just oh, yeah. smiling maniacally. It's just, it almost looks like his comfort food or something. Oh, and he, he did win the Oscar for that performance. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, somebody pointed out, I was reading, this really interesting point that when Llewellyn first goes down into the valley and he kind of has a moment where he's like looking both ways, like I could go back or I could go forward. And there's a black dog, which is also symbolic that he follows to the money. And it's like by crossing that path, he kind of summoned Anton. Mm. Um, the way he just nonchalantly shoots Matthew, or uh, Woody Harrelson, I'm going to say Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> They're so t- tied together. I mean, sorry, have you heard the theory that they, could potentially be brothers, half half brothers. Yeah, I, I have heard that. That's yeah. right. Yes, I did. Yep. Yeah, I did read that somewhere. Yeah. Um, but anyway, just you know the the. By the way, if you're driving down the street, and a cop car pulls you out, and that guy gets out <laughs> with a tank tank of air, just just drive away. Don't was, try and be I was a hero. Say, that is, it's like little things in that movie, though. Like the weapon choice they give him of that, as well as the the shotgun with a silencer, which yeah. I don't think I'd ever seen before. And yeah. it's just like, fucking goddamn, that's cool. <laughs> it's, dude. It, and, and the way Woody talks about him in that film, too. I don't know. He's a fucking Grim Reaper. <laughs> it's just, it's, yeah, he's a great one. It's just, I mean, what a just, I don't well, know. And, and real quick, too, just sort of because this is something I wanted to talk about, sort of honorable mentions. Um, both this film is sort of a sister film to The Counselor, which Cormac McCarthy directed, and has Javier Bardem. Mm-hmm. Rid- Rid- Ridley Scott directed it. Excuse me, sorry, yes. M- McCarthy yeah. wrote it. Excuse me. Um, but has Javier Bardem on the other side now being hunted down by the cartels. And I just think this is one that I wasn't going to put on a list, but the cartel 
Mexican cartels as movie villains. It's oh. sort of this thing in the background, but again, between Sicario, oh the God. counselor, No Kid for Old Men, it sort of is like this through line of really interesting movies and sort of like this dark shadow in the background that you know will just do these horrific evil things. But it's like this bigger organizational faceless evil that's really interesting. Their evil yeah. like knows no bounds. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's no checks and balances for that evil. Yeah. Well, guys, you let me get my my top two so far. So be interested to see where this goes from here. So Chelsea, it's your third turn for your third pick. Yeah, I'd like to or second pick. <laughs> I'd like to bring um Bill to the table from Kill Bill, volume one and two. I was wondering if somebody was gonna pick someone from one of those movies you got several choices and i um you know i i was i was so close to wanting to talk about daryl hannah but i i think at the end of the day i'm gonna go with bill and i've already i know when we talked about our revenge movies i i i talked a lot about why i love uh the kill bill movies but uh i'll try and keep this short and sweet i i think that Looking at Bill as uh, the main villain of those films, uh, I mean, it's a perfect example of like his villainy drove Uma Thurman to do all the incredible things that she did during that throughout the course of those films uh, with the addition of the other uh, players. But I think he's at the at the center of it all. And um, I think uh, maybe now with my perspective of of motherhood. The, the fact that, and I, I'm I'm repeating myself because I, I do believe I said this on our last episode about revenge, but that he made her think that her child died and she had to go for years thinking that she would never meet her daughter. I think that is that is just so low and vindictive and cruel what he did. And um and I, I think that that scene in volume two between the two of them in his a room in Mexico um, and that last night they have together, I think is uh, David Carradine is just is doing some really just beautiful, masterful work um, in that. I, yeah, like I said, I figured somebody was going to pick something from Kill Bill. I kind of thought list. it was, what's that? High on my list as well. Yeah. I, I thought that it would be Daryl Hannah uh, that got picked. And but, so she's an honorable mention, I will say. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, well, I, my love for Tarantino is uh, well documented on this podcast. Uh, still my favorite director, and uh, uh, he might come up again. Mm-hmm. I, I think the thing about Bill for me, and I have one or two others on my list that will sort of air in the same vein, is how normal and calm he actually seems. He's sort of the yeah. the opposite of um, the Emperor Darcidius, where you know if you actually were around, you think, oh, yeah, seems like a pretty normal, chill dude. But then you see what he's actually capable of. And it's like, holy God, you know, this person's terrifying. But it, it's sort of that sheep and or wolf in sheep's clothing mm-hmm. where, um, you know, it's sort of scary in a way that you'd have no idea um, what that man's capable of. And sort of actually same with the Roseman Pike. That's sort of what's scary is not all villains look like Anton Chigurh. Yeah. Not all villains look like the Emperor. Some are just completely normal, regular people who actually are, are capable of true evil. Um, I mean, yeah, he, he, you're right. He's... He's not unsettling, but then like he has the the masochistic speech, basically saying this really hurts me, but I'm gonna do it. Like I'm so butthurt that you ran off. I'm gonna I'm just gonna shoot you, and I don't like it, but I got to do it. And then his Superman versus you know Batman Spider Man speech was so great. Uh, so he's got this like complexity to him. It's a very um, hypnotic uh, performance. It's it's very sexy too in a way. I mean the way he he talks to her outside the church. It, um, yeah, 
I wolf in sheep's clothing is so good. And to just call the willingness, that. though, I mean, too, to, to kill your pregnant bride. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. Well, he that's... doesn't know that it's just. Oh, she says it, doesn't she? Bill, it's your babe, bam. Yeah. I mean, regardless, you're still murdering a nine month pregnant woman, regardless, which that's is true. You know, your bride or not, still pretty fucked up. Yeah. Well, great pick, Chels. Okay, cool. Uh, Sam. Time for your third pick. We're going to change the tenor here uh, and go a little bit more of a fun villain. Uh, here we go. Off the top rope. We're going Shooter McGavin. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. I didn't even think. Well, did I think of that? He wasn't on my list. Want to get some Red Lobster later, Shooter? Come on. <laughs> you want to go to Sizzler? Damn you people. Go back to your shanties. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, again, you think best sports movie villain. I mean, he's just the king. And, and Happy Gilmore is an all-timer. I remember the first time I saw it when I was 10, maybe even 8. I watched it on VHS and I instantly rewound it and watched it again just because I enjoyed it that much. But every scene he's in, he's fantastic. Again, he leans into that just like I talked about earlier with Commodus, the privileged, you know, the quaffed hair, just this rich asshole who is just such a, such a stark contrast to, you know, to Happy and Adam Sandler. And they're just the perfect foils to each other. And definitely one of those actors where, you know, once he was in that role, that's all you can see him in for the rest of time. He he is Shooter McGavin. And he and I love that he's embraced that in real life too. He's leaned into it. He gets that, you know, this is something that really hit home with people and they love. And it's just that perfect kind of guy to root against. And um again, just so delightful every scene in the movie. You know, the <laughs> listen to what I say, or you'll pay. <laughs> you know, just like this, this, wow, go eat some hay. Hey, lay by the bay, make things out of clay. I just may. What do you say? <laughs> He says, pieces of shit like you for breakfast. You eat pieces of shit for breakfast? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was just talking to Micah before I headed out to say, because we were quoting uh, uh, Big Daddy. And then I was like, oh, are there any villains from Adam Sandler movies that I'm missing? And I didn't think of him. But yeah, brilliant. Well, it goes back to what you said at the beginning, what makes a good villain. They don't have to be evil. Sometimes they're just pathetic yep. and, and, you know. You know, annoying, and that's that's all he is. Everything. I mean, the finger guns. I mean, again, when you have the the huge guy from Adam's family, it's like, well, good for Happy Gilmore. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it's just every scene. He's he's just pitch perfect. I love it. Ah, uh, fun pick. That was good. Uh, okay, uh, so my next pick. Uh, well, let's just let's just keep this uh, Tarantino train going, and I'm just gonna pick an obvious one. Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. Just another like super complex villain. That can bounce around from, you know, disarming to evil. I mean, the opening scene—he's like a—he's like a siren from Greek mythology. He lures you in with charm and friendly banter, and then his face changes. He's like, "You're harboring enemies of the state, are you not?" And it's just like, "How do you do that with your face, man? Yeah. You're so friendly, and now you're like—you seem like the meanest person in the world." And then he has no loyalty to anyone. He like abandons his country and government. For for safe haven at the end, so it's like he's he's every all the whole spectrum of evil and bad. He he's a true villain in every sense of the word. Well, and that level of narcissism where again he has no problem with Jews. Seemingly, it's all it's like he gets off by being good yeah. at something, and you know, just mm-hmm. sort of that egotistical of this makes me feel good, and that's what I do it. I'm a great detective, and that thing of yeah, mm-hmm. the, what makes you feel good is you know being responsible for the you know murder of all these people. It's just a really unique style. And, and again, I mean, I, I think at least for me, that was the first introduction to Christoph yeah. Waltz. And I think it was for most well, of the world. Most people, yeah. yeah and, and it was just like, what a revelation of the multiple languages, the faces, just like, and for, for, yeah, and for not being young, it's like, where has this guy been all my life? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Do you guys think so? The diner scene where he shows up with and Shoshana's there. Do you think he knows it's her and he's fucking with her, or do you think it's just coincidence? It's a strudel. Scene, I, right? I think okay. we're led to, and again, I mean, we're supposed to respect his intelligence so much that I think we're we're supposed to think that he knows. Yeah, yeah, I, and I think that makes him even more sinister to make her think. Does he know? Uh, like, kind of where it's like, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to kill you now, but I'll kill you late. I know who you are and I've got eyes on you. Kind of similar to how the killer ended, like how he told him, like, you, if you ever fuck up, I will be there. <laughs> like, it, and so leaving someone with that dread. Yeah, I was curious what you guys thought because I can't decide. I could honestly see it going both ways. Like, he's just naturally and unprovoked awful, and or he's like, he knows it. He's fucking with her. So I don't know. My, my favorite line in the whole film uh, after the first scene when Shoshana is running away and just that au revoir Shoshana and just blows with a kiss. It's just it takes pleasure in all these terrible things. I mean, it's just sinister. Absolutely. I, I'm so glad I got to pick that. So Chelsea, third pick for you. Yeah. Um, I am going to go out and say, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think I'm in danger of you guys picking this, but I'll just still uh, talk about uh, Lady Tremaine, AKA the evil stepmother from Cinderella. I was thinking a lot. Was not on my list. I'm the 1950s Cinderella. The cartoon. Uh, The cartoon. Yes, I know. I know you love Kate Blanchett, and she did play her in. uh, in Oh yeah, I never saw the live action one. But Eleanor Audley is the actress who uh, voiced that character, who also voiced Maleficent. A lot of people said to me, "You're not going to bring up Maleficent as a villain," and and I think. From Sleeping Beauty, and I think Maleficent is a very iconic villain. But there's something about the evil stepmother. I mean, that's such now it's become such a trope. You know, like people when your parents get divorced and your dad remarries, oh, watch out for the evil stepmother. You know, you uh, it it is a um, it is it is some her. I'm not sure if either of you are very familiar with the 1950s Cinderella, but. What I can tell you about it is just how cold and cruel she is to this character has like always just like sent shivers down my spine. It's, I think it, it culminates in her locking Cinderella away um, when she has this final chance to like escape this home. The prince is looking for her, is is ready. If the slipper fits, he'll, you know, she's going to come back and marry the prince and it'll be her uh, happily ever after and that the the stepmother is doing all she can in her power sees like really what skin would it be off her back to like let her stepdaughter go and have this like happy ending but she just because she herself is just so ugly inside like can't can't allow her to have that and I, I there's just something so cold and and cruel and and really deeply sinister and and feels very real like she doesn't have to have magic or anything behind her to make her evil she just is a a hurtful spiteful person and um i hope you guys will let me bring uh, the evil stuff well, yeah to the, true to villain the list, so yeah, every yeah. every every version of cinderella she's a true villain and yeah we we had it on all the time as kids just like every other disney classic so i mean yeah it's like to what sam was saying petty just just petty petty for no reason in just in just real life evil like you know, again, that's just like the shitty stepmom. Like that is just a thing in real life. And again, not all evil has to be, you know, transcendent evil. That's just sort of more your 
everyday evil that so many kids unfortunately are going through and it's it's sort of it's more of an evil that really hits home sure yeah okay yeah well there's the first disney villain off the board i don't know <laughs> if there's gonna be any more but we knew there'd be at least one yeah so i am gonna i think take this time to at least steal one from spencer oh, we're um, going four okay uh, i think we're gonna go with john doe from seven uh he was on my long list mm-hmm. yeah so what i find most interesting about john doe in seven is that sort of anticipation and buildup of your seeing all these evil acts, but not actually seeing who's perpetrated them until, you know, almost four fifths of the way through the movie. And then he's so understated in the performance of, again, you're after you've seen what he's done, you're expecting basically again, an Anton Chigurh type devil. Instead, it's the most monotonous vanilla, you know, 45 year old white male, you know, nondescript guy ever. And again, just has sort of that really quiet evil of, you know, become vengeance, you know, and just talking about Brad Pitt's pretty wife. And it's just uh, that, you know, Kevin Spacey, the all time, you know, Dion Waiters, like doing a ton with almost no screen time at all. Your your sort of per minute intensity there is, is, I think, pretty unparalleled. Yeah, I, I it it is. I think we're all a little like because Kevin Spacey is who he is. Maybe it like almost lends a little bit more to how great of a villain he can play so uh but yeah this is uh without a doubt uh, a a character that should definitely be on our list it's yeah just so 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 dark and twist twisted yeah i mean you know we've talked about seven several times uh just no forgetting the first time you watch it um it, it what makes him so interesting is kind of what you were saying sam like yeah he's he's evil he's awful but then you see him, it's like, oh, you're just some crazy guy. You're just some nutbag who thinks God is speaking through you and you have disdain for everyone. And you're like, you're you're kind of not that interesting. You're- no, that, that ability to blend in as yeah. a villain is really interesting. Again, as far as like a David Carradine where it's, again, it's one thing to sort of, you see someone on the street and it's like, I need to stay away from that person. They look <laughs> scary versus like. I mean, yeah, that's someone you sit on, you know, on next to on the bus every day, and you would never and know he that they apparently throws you know, up according to a yeah, journal. Yeah, that, that they, you know, that it's a serial killer like that. Yeah, well, it's like when he calls, he makes that nine one one call before they find the the girl that cut her nose off and everything, and he goes, and you hear him, he's just like a crazy person on the phone. He's like, I've done it again, and it's like the first time you, really, the only time you hear him be unhinged. He's just a nutbag, and uh, but he is evil, and he's just doing evil shit, and he wins. He does. He gets his way. All right. So I guess my next pick. So I got a couple couple of famous ones here that I'm I'm waffling over. Um oh man. This is tough. Uh, I got some deep pools I could do, but I've got ones that I just feel like need to be on there. Um all right, I'm gonna take an obvious one. Uh Hans, keep the Hans train going. Hans Gruber, <laughs> yeah, baby, yeah, from yeah. Die Hard. I mean, that's like... I was wondering which one of you would bring that up. He's like one of the first villains you think of when you think of villains, right? Uh, it, and I mean, he's self-centered and petty. He just wants the money. He doesn't care about his henchmen. He's probably glad that John McClane is picking them off one by one. As long as his plan keeps going together, that's less money they got to spread around. You know, one of the other guys like, we got to blow the roof. And he's like, but our, our guy's up there. He's like, I don't care. Blow the roof. You know? He's... Sh- he didn't have to shoot Takagi. Takagi probably couldn't even get in the safe. Shoots him anyway. You know, jokes about it. Sadly, he will not be joining us for the rest of his life. You know, shooting Ellis. I mean, that guy was a useless moron. 
But he could have just said, you don't have anything. Get the fuck out of here. No, he shot him in the head. Just, I mean, probably, I don't know, just foreshadowing. Probably a top three all-time villain. Like, so uh, somebody had to pick him. Yeah. I'll let you go, Sam. Uh, And this is where I think, again, I know, I I think I'm going to be the minority here. And and yes, he's an all-time famous villain, but he doesn't check the two boxes for me, I think, of either being the super really, you know, again, entitled petty whiny side or just sort of the joy and evil side he's sort of just a he's a he's more business-like about everything and that sort of doesn't it i guess i just don't i don't hate him but i also don't necessarily fear him and i think that's where for me he's sort of found lacking a little bit to be honest um okay that's interesting i definitely would fear him because he'll just he'll shoot you for no reason but i don't have what he wants he wants a ton of money and so well but if you're in the building like i'm staying out of his way i'm not going to talk to him and um I don't know. I mean, definitely self-centered petty. I mean, he's, he cares about himself, but the business thing, but that's why I love it because a lot of that movie underlying was a commentary on the eighties yuppie and he wasn't any different. And that's why this like regular blue collar cop from New York comes in and up turns, you know, turns their whole world upside down because Hans Gruber's not any different from these, these schmucks in the, in the Nakatomi Plaza. Yeah. I think, uh, Pinning him, pinning Bruce Willis against. Um, I cannot believe I'm blanking on the actor's name. Alan, right Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Thank you. Say it with your chest. Alan Rickman. Uh, they couldn't be more different actors, and uh, I think that uh, they really highlight the 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 differences in 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 the two and what each stand for. Um, so pulling the '80s yuppie thing into it is a great. A great piece to think See, about. And I think I almost enjoy his brother more in Die Hard of the Vengeance, where he at least <laughs> sort of, you know, really seems to get joy out of fucking with John McClane <laughs> much more. I think that's a, a more fun villain for me. And as Chelsea has said on the air, she loves that periwinkle shirt. Yes. I, <laughs> I'm wondering when Jeremy Irons is going to come into play on this on this list. But He's got yeah. some choices. Yeah. Well, with that, Chelsea, it's your fourth pick. I can't, I can't jump into that just yet. So I'm, I'm going to skip over uh, maybe what be the obvious choice. I'm going to talk about Loki, like Tom Hiddleston. Yes, Tom Hiddleston wow, is okay. Loki. Um, I, I know we all have a little bit of like superhero fatigue, but uh, specifically Marvel superhero fatigue. But brilliant I, move keeping him alive. I always think that there's something to get out of Tom Hiddleston's performance as Loki and I think he he just he brings the special sauce to those movies makes them rewatchable in my opinion if if he's in them and I think he I think it was a role he was kind of born to play I I I yeah. he it, um uh this this goes into where the the Loki character on the page I mean yes he comes from mythology but i think that tom hiddleston brought his own um spin and take on that and um makes him uh i i think he makes him very lovable very hateable at the same time he's just kind of that like annoying little brother that just can't help himself kind of yeah well no i agree with you in fact he's so good at playing loki that i thought tom hiddleston was going to be like a big fucking deal yeah. and, and you know he he put out the King Kong movie and then he was going to play Hank Williams. I remember they announced it. I was like, oh man, he's this Hank Williams movie is going to blow up and he's going to become huge. And apparently it's bad. And it came and went w- without a whisper. And his career is just kind of like, guess I'm Loki. Well, you, you 
really, really good at playing Loki. Yeah, yeah. Maybe give him a few years to like move out of that realm and he can have a reset on some on his career. Yeah, I think I got to plead ignorance on this one. I, I think I saw one Marvel movie with him in it, and I, yeah, it's just not my not my realm. Gotta gotta stay re- respectfully silent. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've I've checked out of the superhero movies for for a while since like Endgame, and uh, so I've seen a lot of look. I didn't watch the show, um, but he was always a constant. I mean, he's in like five of the movies or something, mm-hmm. and he's he's really really good at playing Loki. So, okay, should we take a break? Okay, Sam, I think we are on your fifth pick. What's it going to be? So this is the one where I'm going to cheat a little bit. Uh, For my fifth villain, I'm going to go with the entire plane on Con Air. The plane full of criminals. (laughs) Because it's a collective group effort Uh. of villainy, but there's just... There's there's too many good ones to pick one. Uh, you have John Malkovich as Cyrus the Virus. You have uh, Billy Bedlam. You have Garland Green played by Steve Buscemi. You've got Pinball, Dave Chappelle. You've got Danny Trejo playing the most 23-time rapist, Johnny 23. Has I mean, not aged well. <laughs> it is just but, – but it has aged well as a I, villain. I know, I, mean, I know. That's, that's yeah. what's – I mean, it's like where do you start? You just have – Bing Rains as Diamond Dog. I mean, it's just, it's just one after another. And I can't think of a film that has – a collection of better villains than Con Air. Um, it's my favorite action movie of all time. Probably the Nick Cage movie I've rewatched the most. Um, again, I mean, endless quotes, endless fun. Um, the whole gamut of of type of villains from you know petty criminal all the way up to you know Hannibal Lecter type psychopath Garland Green, and it's it's just a a murderer's row of of fun villains in one movie. Hey Sam, you know what my daddy taught me? What was that? You know what my dad taught me? Nothing. Exactly. Uh, I don't know, Chelsea. What are your thoughts on I've this? I've never seen Con Air, well, so I can't. I I know. I'm kind of shocked by that. But how do you feel about this? I would have to know. Like, do are you rooting for or against them the whole movie? No, you're not you're... rooting for them. You're not rooting against John okay. Cusack. Okay. So Nicholas Cage, I thought he was in a prisoner on it, but he is. It, he, he's he's but get, he's getting out with on a heart parole, of gold. and he gets stuck on a plane full of. Prisoners being transferred to the most maximum. He's a green beret defending his wife and killed two men. Okay, okay. Because well, his hands are deadly weapons. Yep. He had to go to prison. Special for training. Then I'll allow Sam's pick. I, I, All right. I would. But maybe I'll let Spencer uh, be the I'll, deciding uh, vote. I'll, I'll allow it. I think you could just do Cyrus the Virus. Cy Anara. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll allow it. It's fun. It's uh, super fun. I mean, God. They all play. They plan the hijack together. Well, and, and I think we have to put Danny Trejo on this list somewhere because I mean he plays so many great villains, and this is the one where I feel like he finally actually has like a recognizable actual name, and he's about to be Johnny Twenty Four here in a minute. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus. so evil, so evil. Uh, Chelsea, you got to get on that. I, uh, I know, I know, I know. I'll watch I it know. with you tonight. <laughs> uh, it's it's fun. It's fun. It's I think it's a lesser action movie compared to like The Rock. But wholeheartedly disagree. Well, you know. I've never seen The Rock either. Oh, dude, The Rock is really fantastic. And what's weird is I hate Face Off. I love The Rock and Con Air. I hate Face Off. I'm always shocked when I when I look up Face Off and it's like 93 percent Rotten Tomatoes. How in the mid 90s 
did all those critics, those staunchy critics go, yes, this is good. I mean, it's fun. It's stupid fun, but it's not good. John Travolta's like really cringy and face off to me, like in not a good way. Everybody's like, cringy and face off. I know, but Nicholas Cage the script sells and the it dialogue more than, is just yeah. is unbearable to me in that one. <laughs> um, okay, we'll we'll allow it. Thank you. All right, so I guess that brings me to my next pick, and I got some obvious ones here. Okay, I think. There's a couple I think you or Chelsea will pick, so I will save them, and I'm going to pick another one that I – it's kind of an obvious pick, but I think this person is just too fucking evil to not go on the list, and I'm going to – shocker, me being Spencer, I'm going to keep this Tarantino train going, Calvin Candy. Uh, first of all, testament to Leonardo DiCaprio, who spends his whole career being a heartthrob and then just plays one of the most – just disgraceful, rotten, soulless pieces of shit ever to be on a movie screen. I mean, there's, dude, there's scenes in Django, like, I, I've seen the movie so many times, and there's scenes in that movie, like, I just can't watch, because they're just, it's just too awful. Like, when he sicks the dogs on that guy, it, man, you just, I, ugh, no, I don't, I don't know if I can think of a more satisfying villain death than, than Calvin Candy. No, he he's an all timer and again very amiable at this point. Um, yeah, again, can't disagree at all. Someone who does get that joy from being evil. Um, but as you said, yeah, one of the harder. I mean, again, I'm, I'm pretty pretty numb to <laughs> violence and horror, but uh, as far as Tarantino films go, definitely one of I'd say the harder ones to watch. Uh, as far as some of those moments, you're right, and just the just I mean, again, the Mandingo fighting in the room in front of him. You just have the two guys beating each other to death. It's, so unsettling, fucking awful. I think this I think Leonardo DiCaprio I never get a sense that he like has shame around his heartthrob status or no. that he regrets it but I do get a sense that he ha- is much more in his lane um playing these kinds of darker characters these these imperfect <laughs> I mean that's putting it lightly but uh yeah the, uh these bad men I I uh and He's yeah. He's well, just really appreciative of, of him willing to take on roles like that. Versus, you know, I think Will Smith was rumored to be in that movie, was offered the role of Django and turned it down to do something else like that. It's just it would have been such a fun turn, but you, you just again, it's a bummer when those actors won't take those types of roles. I, honestly, I don't think it would have worked. And like I've heard, Will Smith had some stupid reason. You know, he wanted to be more pursuit of happiness or well yeah i mean not as not as not as tarantino-y i I just don't think i just don't think he could get there i just don't think will smith can get there and jamie fox is i I don't know why he wasn't his first choice but that's i mean that's a huge what if um you know the other what if in the tarantino world for me is adam sandler was supposed to play um you know ross character in glorious bastards yeah that would have been so funny it's i don't know I, i just would love to see those alternate versions of those films i agree but anyway calvin candy uh I I mean my I mean I think the, who, who's the worst villain between him and Hans Landa and the Tarantino verse? I mean I couldn't I can't pick one or the other. Mm. And that's a fair question. I, yeah, I think the main difference is I think you could argue that in a way Calvin Candy would be maybe more the product of his time and product of just if you had that sort of upbringing mm. and that opportunity and wealth in you know the antebellum South that you know I guess. I guess I wonder how unique he actually was 
in that sort of era and that sort of person. I, 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 and I don't know. We, well, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, we have seen those kinds of uh, characters play out in a lot of uh, historical pieces that are products of their time. And you get to see like, they almost have everything available to them that they're, they're so bored that they, they, they go to these extremes. Um, yeah. That's a very good point. Well, to, to your point though, I mean, Don Johnson plays big daddy. And he's not quite as bad. I mean, I don't know. The Candyland, the the evil around that plantation just seemed to be way worse. But then again, they showed the flashback with Bruce Dern. He's he's super evil, too. So you got something there. But, yeah, I mean. I mean, I, I mean just simply the fact of owning slaves makes you evil. And yet, at sure. the same time, that was so common and standard at that time in that area. That's, you know. Again, he was completely another level, but yeah, some part of it was also a little more um, generalized. Yeah. Okay. Chelsea, fifth pick. Um, I I know Javier Bardem is represented on our list already, but I think that uh, we would be remiss if we didn't have Silva from Skyfall uh, as uh, one of our top villains of I all feel time. Like we needed one Bond villain. Yeah, and I. Mike and I had some debates about it. He really was gunning for Lachif Le- 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 uh, uh, and from Casino Royale. But as much as uh, Mads Mikkelsen is, you know, I really respect him as an actor. And I think he's he's doing really nuanced and, and cool work as that character in Casino Royale. I just think that Silva is 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 what added to the the magic of of skyfall um i think that is the movie that brought people who maybe didn't consider themselves like bond people or you know 007 fans i think it was one of the most like far-reaching like entertaining um bond movies of our time and um in what everything you said about no country for old men I think now you get to see Javier Bardem. He gets to ride that line of like he's there's there's like a little bit of like this sensuous element to him. I mean, I I rewatched the scene last night on YouTube of him giving the story of the rats on the island. And when you when you need to get rid of rats, you collect them all in a barrel and you don't give them more coconut. You instead make them eat each other and then you release the two surviving rats and he's drawing the connection saying M made them into these killers that they should, you know, what, what, what will we do as these two rats? And, um, I think he, um, I think he is very petty in his, uh, revenge plot against M and, um, MI6, um, and using James Bond as a pawn in all of that. Um, and, uh, I like that you don't really know, the next you you never quite know what how he's going to zig and zag in the movie yeah um i definitely feel like we needed a bond villain on the list uh my my choice would probably would have been him or goldfinger uh i, I like lashif but i think for me lashif and i love mad mickelson um he rarely has like the upper hand he's kind of just in desperation mode the whole movie yeah and he's at the mercy of other people that's and what so, micah said it's kind of a sad des- desperate performance businessman. Yep. yeah yeah well, and I think first, cool that Javier Bardem is the first to get two two on the list. So kudos for him. I think what's interesting that you bring up that character first, and also just want to call out. I mean, the scene of him removing his fake teeth is just Amazing. so fantastic. 
But I think what's interesting about him is, is his evil warranted based on what Ammon MI6 did? Because um, that's sort of a different sort of villain that, um, and I'm just going to throw this one out. I don't think it'll end up being on our list, but Magneto would be another where, yeah. you know, sort of your behavior is like, mm-hmm. is it justified based on what you went through, what's happened to you? You know, yes, you may be taking this to an extreme, but you sort of aren't necessarily on their side, but you get why they're doing what they're doing and you don't necessarily blame them for that. And that's a, a different type of villain than I think we've had on the list so far. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, I think part of it, you got to be like, hey, man, you need the job, but he does feel abandoned and um, psychologically damaged from that cyanide pill. So um, it's not yeah. his fault. Well, <laughs> it's not your fault. Robin Williams comes in. It's not your fault. It's not your fault, Silver. Okay. So that brings us to, I guess, your sixth pick here, Sam. Boy, getting dicey here. Um, this is where I really sort of am feeling that pull hey, between. If there's a big name that needs to be on the list, don't don't be scared. Yeah, I think I'm going to go mm, iconic but more personal. I'm going to add another lady. We're going to go Glenn, Glenn Close, Fatal Attraction. That's a great oh. pick. That is a great pick. What? Oh, shit. What is her name? Alex Forrest. I, that is one I had to look up um, since we just sort of know her more Glenn Close. But uh, sort of more along the lines of that Gone Girl crazy where, again, I just have to give that guy's perspective of this is the archetype for don't sleep with crazy because you just never know what crazy's going to do and how crazy can ruin your life. And The sex may be good, but, but it, again, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And no, and just that helplessness of like, oh my God, my whole life is going to be ruined because of this one poor decision. That's a really helpless feeling, and she just again. I'm not going to be ignored. Ignored, damn. It's just so iconic. The shot of her on the roller coaster, just incredible. I really like what uh, they do with that movie of like kind of putting on its head the idea of the the lost weekend with your lover, like. Oh, throwing all care to the wind. Like, I'm just, we're going to have like the sex fest of a weekend and I don't care about consequences. And it's like, actually, there will be consequences for your actions. And, um, and this is, and it, it is worse than you could imagine. Yeah. Glenn Close is so freaking good. This is a great pick, Sam. Um, do you guys know about the, the original ending? Yes. I do not. So, uh, Glenn Close actually fought for the this other ending, and they record they filmed it as you can see it. They come and arrest, so like they think it's over or whatever. And Michael Douglas is like doing yard work out there with the family, and the police come and arrest him uh, because she Alex like kills herself to ma- why Madame Butterfly is playing, which all ties together with that song, and she like cuts her own throat. And remember when he confronts her. Before she she comes back to their house, he picks up that he he touches that knife. Fingerprints are on it. Fingerprints are on it, and then the the wife finds the tape that she sent him, saying like I'm going to kill myself, you know, Dan, and, so, and runs off. And you kind of imply she's she's going to try to have a case to save him based off of that. And it, the last shot is just showing her killing herself. And Glenn Close fought for that because she's like. Alex is a damaged, flawed person and unhinged. Yeah, unhinged, going out the way she really would go out. But they tested it with audiences, and audiences wanted to really make her a villain. She comes to the house, and the uh, the wife gets to actually stand up for herself and her family. So I, I could honestly take either one. The one we got is a more exciting ending, 
but artistically the original one makes more sense. So, uh, but great, great villain. Yeah. Uh, so I'm next. Well, I've got two obvious picks. Three, actually, excuse me. I have three obvious picks. Really hoping Chelsea picks one of them. So I'm going to pick one of these obvious picks, and hopefully if you pick one, I pick the other one, we get all three obvious picks here. So I'm going to take Frank Booth from Blue Velvet. Uh, just mm. sadism personified. Just, uh, uh, just a, I mean, he's the devil. You know, everything he can do, like, takes total pleasure in harming other people, uh, depraved. You know, uh, that's kind of like what I always enjoyed about Blue Velvet is this, like, quaint middle America town depravity is introduced and a little bit of hilarity ensues, but it's mostly unsettling. Um, and I mean, honestly, that person can exist. He's got a gang. He's run around town. He's assaulting women, rape, raping women and, and, and assault, you know, beating people up, holding weapons to people. I, I think he's, he's usually on best movie villains, all time list. And I just, I'm not a huge David Lynch fan. I respect the man. His movies are just so abstract, and I can only do so much of that. But Blue Velvet is fantastic. And Frank Booth is, I mean, just Dennis Hopper playing yeah, villains. I, was, yeah. I mean, Speed, where, where else should we go? Yeah. He's a great villain actor. Even Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> but Frank Booth is like an all-time movie villain. And the the, the piece with the, the oxygen mask is is such an interesting uh, and just weird. And yeah. so apparently it's not oxygen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, David Lynch likes to be abstract. But because Dennis Hopper is an addict and did all the drugs back in the day, it's something nitrate. I can't uh, remember, yeah. but it, it's it's definitely a drug. Mm-hmm. So he's getting high and then being like, you know, real creepy. Mm-hmm. So embarrassed to say I haven't seen this one. Uh, I actually watched my first David Lynch film three weeks ago with my wife. Watched Wild at Heart for the first time. See, that's one and of the so ones I haven't seen. So yeah, again. A great introduction, and I uh, definitely want to see more. Probably not going to include her in those watching. Um, I think I shook a little bit of her trust in me for picking movies <laughs> for us, but that's okay. Mulholland Drive is really, really fantastic, and she actually might like that one. Okay. It's really, yeah, that feels like a fever dream. That's a really weird movie. And you say that, but it's probably his most coherent movie, mm-hmm. other than Elephant Man and Dune, you know? Mm-hmm. So, all right, Chelsea. All right. Pick number six. Um, I am going to bring. I'm going to bring Hannibal Lecter to the table. That was one of my obvious picks. Um, if you didn't pick him here, I was going to have to pick him on the last one. <laughs> but I struggle. You know, he fits. Obvious. I mean, on the surface, he fits the bill as a villain. But the way he eats people, Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> but the way he's employed in the movie is, I mean, he. He's not he's not a total uh, foil because he helps Jodie Foster's character at times. Well, like, see, are we doing all-encompassing Hannibal Lecter? Because mm, in... If, like Red Dragon. Red Dragon Hannibal, slash Manhunter, yeah. mm. you know, he tries to get uh, Will, or Will Graham killed. Sure. He just had that soft spot yeah. for Clarice. And then um, in Hannibal, like... He's the most sadistic person ever lived in that movie. So all yeah, all all encompassing. I will look at Hannibal Lecter. Yes, uh, I uh, and Anthony Hopkins portraying him. Uh, it was a match made in heaven. So uh, I think um, he 
brings a lot of people back to wanting to rewatch Silence of the Lambs because uh, the the cat and mouse element of that um, and the the flirtation in a way that he has with Clarice with with Jodie Foster I think is a is really um, it's just like transfixing so um, and uh, he he's kind of that like that intellectual that is just so pompous and like awful and you just want to like roll your eyes because they think so highly of themselves and then he also eats well, he says that to Will Graham in the in the original story. He says, uh, "Do you?" He's like, "Do you think you're smarter than me?" And Will Graham's like, "No, of course not." And he goes, "Well, then, how did you catch me?" He said, "You had certain disadvantages, like what?" He goes, "You're insane." Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, just true evil, no redeeming qualities in Hannibal Lecter, all just, I mean, just nothing but nefarious vibes all the way around. I'm curious uh, in that film. Do you guys think that Buffalo Bill makes Hannibal Lecter seem more normal as sort of a counter? No, I think that James Gum is, I'm careful when I say this, slightly, slightly more sympathetic. I, you know, if he'd gotten the mental health help he needed, would he have gone this far? Hannibal is like, loves himself and he loves that he eats people and cuts off faces and all that stuff. Eats brains. He doesn't care. He loves it. But I do think, I think Buffalo Bill is given more of the, like, the glory, uh, the, the, he, I mean, the, the scene with the tuck and the robe and Tell every, me more about the tuck. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what I think what really, what sticks with people in terms of when you're thinking of, uh, Serial killer creep. Oh, warrior, like, she a great uh, big fat person. The, the voice, yeah, it puts the lotion um, on the skin. Or else it gets those again. Hey, are you about a size seven? <laughs> I, I mean, pulling into, I mean, Ted Bundy. That was that was totally his uh, uh, his mo was to trick women. I like he would fake having oh, yeah. like a broken arm into to get car. to get someone to get. So I think pulling that into the story too but um i yeah i struggled because i i wanted to mention buffalo bill and thinking at my mind first went to well well he's the one that were you know in silence of the lambs that they're trying to to stop uh does that make what hannibal lecter's doing less evil in comparison i don't know well again i think if you take the whole catalog of movies um Except Hannibal Rising, because it's not good. Um, it, there's just way more sinisterness to Lecter than to James Gum. Um, the other interesting thing about you picking Lecter is, of course, Anthony Hopkins, Oscar-winning performance, iconic. But Brian Cox plays him in Manhunter, and what you get is a more realistic version of what Hannibal Lecter would probably be like if he really existed. Both are fascinating. Uh, I mean, obviously, Hannibal Lecter is as iconic as Anthony Hopkins is an all-time great actor and i love brian cox so it's just what's your preference uh but i think lector if if he didn't get picked by my last pick i was gonna have to take him final pick time yeah your final pick oh there are still some obvious ones on the board i know that's what i'm struggling with i think there's an area of film evilry that i want to go into uh i'm gonna go with jimmy conway and goodfellas robert de niro Man, I really struggle trying to think of what I picked Jimmy or Tommy. Completely. 
I mean, and, and I had them both listed, but since I already did the ensemble of Con Air, I figured I can get them both together. But no, it's sort of that ice and fire dynamic where, yes, you have Tommy DeVito, who's the hothead, where you say one wrong thing, he's going to shoot you like he does Spider, or, you know, obviously the, the famous, you know, funny house scene. But I think the scariest thing in that movie is Jimmy Conway telling Karen to just, you know, just keep going, no, just around dresses. the corner, yeah. you know, and, and the montage of all the people he killed. Um, after the heist, you know, playing the uh, classics, yep, Layla. I mean, that's just, it's, it's just, it's just perfect. And again, sort of more in that Hans Gruber business calculated sense of, you know, again, doesn't seem like he's doing it because he gets off on it. Doesn't seem like he's necessarily even mentally deranged. It's just like, nope, this is just what I need to do as a means to an end. And so, yeah, more that Hans land of, yeah, yeah I, I don't mind murdering, you know, dozens of people because that'll keep me safe. Yeah, I, I can't remember if I've said this on the podcast. I'm one of the few people that prefers Casino to Goodfellas, uh, just personally. I'm not saying one's better than the other. Because I think what gets me is I can like relate to Ace a little more and things like that. And is, as amazing as Goodfellas is, in such an iconic and important movie as it is, every time it ends, I'm just like, God, what a bunch of fucking idiots. Uh, so to, I, I say this to your point about Tommy who, if you're going to pick one, Jimmy's the one to pick because Tommy's just a, he's a, he's, he's dynamite. He's a powder keg. You just don't know when it's going to blow. And he's just, he's just, he's, um, what am I trying to say? I mean, he's, he's just, uh, uh, he can't help himself, you know? Shortest fuse. Shortest fuse, can't help himself, gets worked up, you know, killing Billy Bats. Uh, Jimmy's more calculating. He's like, it's not spontaneous in the moment. Like when he kills, like Tommy kills Spider, even Jimmy's like, Jesus Christ, man, what are you doing? Jimmy's killing all these people very strategically in a conniving way. Well, no, and that's a fair point and sort of an interesting other concept of like real life fear of, you know, what's scarier, you know, being on a train and just a random person coming up to you and stabbing you, just sort of the, you know, the crazy. And I always say like, you know, don't live your life in fear of crazy because you can't control crazy. But I think what's actually scarier is the highly intelligent, calculated, you know, precise, calm, you know, because again, those people will take their time. They're smart about it. It's like, that's way more dangerous in actuality. Because again, like you said about Hannibal Lecter, the disadvantage is being insane. Ultimately, crazy will get caught and crazy can only take you so far, where if you're actually, again, a sociopath or smart and calculated, that's a much different animal. Yeah, I, um, Goodfellas, I've only seen it once. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I, I know what you're talking about and I, I have, uh, I have no, no issue whatsoever with including this character on the list. Yeah. I think at the end of the movie, the only person you feel bad for that got busted was Polly. Poor Polly. Poor Polly. It's like, now I have to turn my back on you. Gives him one more, th- you know, stack of money. Go, go get out of here. Then he turns them all in. Uh, okay, so it's my last pick. So there's a oh, man, there's a really obvious pick here, and I have a hunch Chelsea's going to pick this person, but I, I don't know if I can risk it. I think this person needs to be on the list. I'm just looking at my deep cuts here, see if there's anyone I'd be willing to take over this person. Oh my God, there's a personal one, and then this obvious person. I, I okay, I got to be me. I'm sorry. I'm taking Alonzo Harris from Training Day. Denzel, oh, okay. love it. Denzel, my guy, uh, what a scumbag. I'm so happy I finally saw this movie. <laughs> oh, you didn't tell me you finally saw it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what'd you think? Uh, it, it, incredible. I mean, it is just like, you can't, it, it's hard to catch your breath. Like, the movie just goes and goes and goes. Uh, and uh, I, I 
it, Denzel, I think it, it, now I'm kind of viewing him after seeing him in this. I'm like, oh gosh. Then we watched The Equalizer and it was like, I know he's supposed to be the hero of The Equalizer, but I'm still just like, wow, I can't get that, that, that bad guy out of my no. mind. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm, I'm on record. I love Denzel. He's just, dude just shows up, makes it look effortless, but he's always great. But in that role, like Denzel's gone. Denzel's not here. There's just this horrible, horrible person. And he has all these great lines that you know he ad-libs some of them. Again, much like I was saying with Amy Dunn, no redeeming qualities whatsoever. Like, just... Except, like, uh, Chelsea's angle, and I think it's actually pertinent here, is it's really interesting to see evil hidden behind that million-dollar smile. And just, you know, again, and that beauty of, you know... It's like how how bad can a guy be if he smiles that nicely? You know, it's almost more disconcerting of, you know, this yeah, beautiful person who could charm the pants off anyone, yet holy shit, they're evil. And it gets worse and worse and worse throughout the movie. But it had to be him, or else I don't think the Ethan Hawk character would have stayed around for as long as he did. Like I think he would have bailed the, yeah. the at the within the first twenty minutes of the movie after like the first awful thing happened. So um yeah, yeah you he had to be he had to be charming. And I mean, just the level of to stop in the middle of an L.A. intersection to hold a gun to somebody's head. I, I, I don't know. I could just talk. I mean, Training Day as a movie is like it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It, it's not like a mind blowing, amazing. It's just like this is a good movie. You're watching it for Denzel and Ethan Hawke's performances, which are both incredible. Uh, and and to your point, talking about how a villain can be cowardly and kind. When he goes to see the wise men, that's a different Alonzo. He's he's kind of docile and submissive to those guys. But when he's around his crew or he gets in the car with Ethan Hawke, he's like, I'm in charge. So be able to like turn turn that dial down when he's around people more powerful than him. I mean, testament to Denzel, but it rounds out that character as just like nothing good about him. Mm. Yeah. Great pick. Uh okay, Chelsea. I'm really hoping you make this obvious <laughs> pick. I had to be true to me, but I've I don't know. We'll see. I hope. I just, I think we're all being a little too cute and no one has mentioned the Joker and Heath Ledger. I oh. think, I mean, I I think it would be wrong for us not to include him. I, I know it's an, it's, it's an obvious and he's been given a lot of lip service, but I think if we were to look back on this list and see that he wasn't on there. Are it you would be wrong. a particular Joker or the I, Jokers, which I'll accept either. I'm, I'm picking particularly Heath Ledger as the Joker. Not Jared Leto's? um i was thinking to be funny i was like oh i could mention jared leto in panic room but no um i just you know i didn't have him written down because i was banking on one of you guys talking about him but now that now that we're sitting here i'm like i yeah it would feel i i just think he there's there's so much. I mean, if you look at the the history uh, around what the the release of that movie in the wake of Heath Ledger's death, and it added this you know this other cl- dark cloud to the performance, and just made it that much more effective and and um, sad, demented. Um, I mean, I have anything you want to say about it, but um, I think. He 
the Joker, Jack Nicholson's Joker, I'm not as familiar with. Like, I, I've only seen that movie what once. What are you talking about? Your toddler keeps picking it to watch. I know. House. He does keep going to that one out of the Batman Returns, especially, and Batman Begins. Um, don't forget but, Joaquin's Joker, too, now. Yeah, and we do have Joaquin's Joker, but I'm not. That's not a. He's pathetic. That, that's something that I, I don't think it's. I mean, thank you for being less hipster than us, Chelsea. He needed to be on the list. Um, no, I mean, again, you want to talk quotable, all-time iconic performances. He's there. Um, I am curious. Do you guys think – I'm sure you've seen the video of the Tom Waits interviews and wondering if if his key based his character off old Tom Waits. He, he had – it's did he actually basically confirm like that? confirmed it's, exactly what he did. Yeah, and, and, but just so fun, so fascinating, and the visuals. Um, and again, just so quotable and, um, again, the perfect – Perfect uh, superhero foil, yeah. without a doubt. Thank you for bringing up Tom Waits. Chelsea knows I'm a Tom Waits fanatic. Just dan- danced to a Tom Waits cover at my wedding. Seven, Tom- si- seven Psychopaths, one of my favorite movies the last 10 oh, years. He's great, he's great in that. Tom Waits face tattooed to my arm. It's not a joke. I really do. Uh, yeah, Chelsea, you know, I didn't pick Joker because, I don't know. I, I feel like, first of all, I just feel like we've talked about him a lot on this sure, podcast. Sure, yeah. Um, and so off air, we kind of made some some rules. One of the things we said, I, I don't think any of us are real crazy about picking slasher villains. I think we all kind of agreed that like maybe Freddy Krueger would be the one because I mean he was already killing kids <laughs> before he became the dream murderer. Uh, but it's just kind of cheap, and I I, I kind of felt the same way about just personally. I'm not knocking it at all. He, obviously, Joker crossed my mind. I almost put it on my list. I was just like, I think I could do something that I I think is more interesting. But Heath Ledger's you know, I, I mean, it's the one of the, like Sam just said it, it's one of the most probably top 10 iconic villains of the last 30 years. If I was going to pick a Joker, I feel like I'd have been more inclined to do Jack Nicholson because Heath Ledger's, like he said, he goes, I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. Jack Nicholson's like, I'm going to go down to this chemical lab and I'm going to meticulously organize these chemicals so when you combine them in household products, you're going to die. And that is just so much more evil to me. But, uh, Obviously, not have no problem with you know the Joker being put on this list. I and mean, he's, he's, he's sinister. So the wonder how I got these scars and with the with the cello string, you're just like, oh my god, I'm so uncomfortable. And he is to Sam's point, he is the person that you would sit as far away from on the bus. Like he's not the the wolf in sheep's clothing. No, he is. When he's he walking around in his nurse's outfit. The, not me. I want to start a conversation with that person. Hey man, <laughs> you got some interesting stuff going on here. What's what's going on? I, I think a lot about that uh, the scene when he goes to talk to one of the the goons uh, when he has he splits the the pool stick in half and then we're gonna have tryouts yeah and I I I like that he can he's given the space to oscillate between being just the freak and also the muscle and like pure just terror like uh it's like he's a joke at he's joker he is a joke at times but he can so quickly spin it and on and really show his strength i mean like when he slams that guy's head on top of the pencil like that uh, that is that is terrifying to me so uh yeah and i think also the moments of actual intelligent insight that he has is sort of what, again, sets him apart where he's a little more dynamic talking sure. about, again, you know, I, 
fairly certain it's this movie. It's not, and I'm getting mixed up. I apologies. Where he talks about, you know, a busload of you know soldiers in Afghanistan dies, nobody cares. But you know, it's like it's all part of the plan. You know, he's yeah. it's and like just that insight is like, man, that was actually really intelligent. So it's like you do see these flashes of this is obviously a smart person who's just completely again gone off the deep end. And he's so like his. His, like, you know, villainous is so complex that, so take the final moment in the movie, you know, uh, well, if his final moment in the movie, where he's got the two boats, it's like, blow the other one up, you get to live. But the way he was constructed in that movie, he doesn't say this, but my, even the first time I saw the movie, my thought was, how do you know that your key won't blow up your boat? Because he would think that's hilarious. So, I mean, that's just like, you know, I mean, one of the more dynamic characters Nolan has had, more more dynamically constructed characters Nolan's had, because we know it's not one of his strengths, but there's no denying that Joker, the layers of that Joker and the uniqueness of that Joker. That's why everybody talks about it. I mean, well, just I, the visuals. I mean, again, uh, Nicholson, again, evil, yes, but you don't have him sticking his head out the window the way Heath Ledger does, just, no. you know, basking in, in, no. in the chaos like that. There's just so many separate images like that that you just stick in your brain I know. 20 years and Nicholson, later. He had some prosthetics on, but he just looks like that anyway. I mean, he looks like that in The Shining. You know? You're not wrong. Uh, so those are lists. Before we go back through, I know we all want to do some honorable mentions. So the other obvious one that I was – I hate that they're not on here was Annie Wilkes from Misery. Mm. Uh, it's a great villain. Uh, I, I mean, that's why this is so hard. That's why we did 21. Um, the only Disney villain I was considering was Maleficent. I just – you know, she shows up. You didn't invite me to this party? Fine. I'm going to kill your kid. That's petty. And uh, I, she turns into a dragon. You know? Like, I feel like if all the Disney villains got together, she'd be running the show. <laughs> um, I, got, I got a bunch here. So, I mean, we talked about, too, like, no, like, mindless, like, nonverbal things. So, we didn't do, like, Bruce the shark. He's just sharking it up, man. He's not evil. You know, the raptors, the xenomorph. I had those, but... um. Uh, also the Terminator, I feel like kind of falls under that. I had Mrs. Danvers from Rebecca. That was a real deep pool. Um, uh, Lee Woo Jin, who's the villain in Old Boy. That's that's pretty evil villain. I I really thought about. Micah thought you were going to say say him, but yeah. Um, I had um a couple more obvious ones. Mr. Potter from Wonderful Life. Um, in the the realm of funny '80s villains, I did Drago from <laughs> Rocky Four and Chong Lee from Bloodsport. Uh, uh, and then um, Colonel Jessup from Few Good Men. That was another. That's, deep a, pool that's I had. a great one. Yeah, that was another deep pool I had. So um, I don't know. So what, what were some of you guys' deep pools? I had uh, I I had Scar. I think he would have been the next it's after Maleficent. Uh, I, that's such a good voice uh, performance from Jeremy Irons. And uh, also, I mean, the more you think about that, will to be seen is is really like terrifying like that he orchestrated that put his nephew like just thinking of putting i know it's it's an animated lion cub but if you think about yeah. it it's like is this if this was a child like you and then like making him see his father die like it, it's just layer upon be if layer lacy of. killed micah in front of jordy <laughs> <laughs> so she could Wouldn't become a <laughs> uh queen um I had Regina George from Mean Ooh, Girls. Good one. I didn't um, think of that one. That's great. Uh, the fun twist in that movie, though, is that like you know Lindsay Lohan or Katie is becoming just as 
oh, as, yeah. as evil as, as she tries to um, out outwit Regina. Um, I because I rewatched Batman Returns around the holidays. I I did I do really love Danny DeVito as the Penguin. Love Danny. Um, I um I Gollum. I sympathetic character. Yeah, he's the hero. He destroys the ring <laughs> <laughs> with that smile on his face as he's as he's dying. Um, I, looking back, I'm like, should I have switched out Doctor Evil for Mugatu? But I I'm 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 happy with my choice with Mugatu. But Doctor Evil from Austin Powers, it's a great is, one. Uh, what I was thinking. Um, I honestly thought one of y'all were gonna pick Doctor Evil. Um, okay, so as henchman. And uh, I, I really, really love the performance in Blade Runner 2049 of uh, her name is Love, L-U-V. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I that actress, uh, Sylvia Ho- Hoax, I think is how you pronounce her last name. I don't really think I've seen her in anything else, but she is just she gets she really gets under my skin in that movie. So I just wanted to give her a shout out um, as a really, really iconic henchman for me. <laughs> I got a long list. Um, the one that I just, again, like the personal pick I really wanted to do uh, was Kirstie Alley and Drop Dead Gorgeous. <laughs> it's, wow. it's one of my favorite films of all time. It gets funnier every time I watch it. Again, got to see it on the big screen in Hollywood. But, I mean, you just have this worst sort of pageant mom who's like the worst sort of Christian murdering high school <laughs> kids and eventually ends up setting her own daughter on fire by accident. Um, and just, again, the sort of like – I just feel like I had friends whose moms were like that in high school. And it's like this sort of real world hate I have for that sort of person is just really special to me. Um, going through things that actually scare me, Mark Wahlberg and fear. Um, I'm really happy I have a son, not a daughter, just so that I don't have to deal with <laughs> potentially her ending up with someone like him. Um, ben Affleck, Days of Confused, O'Banion is just so fucking great. <laughs> I'm just, fuck you, fuck all of you. I just love a, an angry, douchey Ben Affleck. Um, the one that really sort of broke my heart, too, not to include a uh, bit of a sleeper, Albert Brooks uh, in Drive That's, as Bernie Rose. so sinister. He's, I, I ultimately went Johnny or uh, Jack Conway because he's, you know, he's more iconic, but Albert Brooks in Drive is. One of my actual like personal favorite ones. I just didn't know if he was sort of iconic enough to be on the list, but I I love that performance so so much. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal, Nightcrawler, um, as Lou Bloom, oh, so gross, it's completely unhinged and terrifying. Uh, Merlot in Sideways is the villain. Um, for sure. uh, ben Stiller in Reality Bites, I think, is a really sort of fun villain. Oh, of that's, just, you know, that's a loose one. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, he is selling out. He is corporate. That in nineties, that was the. the Selling I know, but Ethan was, Hawke's character is a fucking Oh, no, he's, I fucking hate that guy. Don't get me wrong. Um, the Yellow Bastard in Sin City is yeah. a particularly gross, terrifying, disgusting sort of villain. And then the two ladies I, I do feel like we really left out, um, Dolores Umbridge and Harry Potter. Um, but again, I, not so much the movie role or yeah, portrayal. Yeah, that's what I say. She's way worse in the but book. But that character itself, again, as far as might be my most hated villain of all time. The way actually. she's written just in the books, I was, you're seething. Completely, de- yeah. yeah, just completely detestable. And again, sort of in that same vein, actually, as Kirstie Alley and Dr. Gorge, it's like, I actively hate this sort of person, maybe more than anything else on the planet. And then the final one, uh, I actually watched Devil Wars Prada for the first time a few weeks ago, <laughs> and Meryl Streep, I mean, come yeah. on. That's, Screws what, everybody. Yeah, what an yeah. iconic form. It's just, what a bad person. Bad just person. Super bad, bad person. 
Uh, yeah, in fact, the one I, I did leave off one deep one. I almost picked it a couple times. But I was like, this is getting a little too cute. Uh, Robert Prosky, who later on in life played the lovable grandpa and everything, was you know the the producer and Mrs. Doubtfire and stuff. Oh. His first on-screen role ever was uh, the villain in uh, Michael Mann's first movie, Thief, with James Caan. He plays a real despicable son of a bitch in that. Just a just awful person. He's so just oh, just disgusting human being. So. Uh, Thief is amazing. Okay, so we got to rank these things, and then we'll close out with our recommendations. Now, did you guys keep a running list of what everybody picked? Yes, I should have, but I, I'll, yeah, I, I'll, I, I can wing it. I kind of remember what you all. Okay, so, okay, so Chelsea, I'm sorry. I know you're in this game. I feel like I pick on you, but you know what? That's just because you're picking from the heart, and I appreciate that. I, I think the easiest way to start this is with Loki, only because. No, I will not let Loki be the last behind the Con Air well, people. On. Well, that was going to be my next one. But Loki has a lot of redemption arcs. Like, he ends, he sides with the heroes multiple times. Uh, but then they did reset it with Endgame, and he's like the bad guy again. So, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, that's just my thought. But I'm willing to hear anything. But my bottom two are those two. And again, Loki, he's... Tom Hiddleston's amazing as Loki. I'm just saying because... He has redemption arcs. He like works with Thor a couple times. Um, he's just a little less evil than everyone else on our list. It, no, it's a fair point. And I'm I like I said, I haven't seen Con Air and everything that Sam described about those characters. They all sound really despicable. But I think they're that cartoon, I think it's unfair villain, to put like they're a group of performances and like so there's there's uh, they have a little more weight because of that. Like it's unfair to, I think, judge against one performance of multiple Loki as Oscar Tom winners among them. So um, I, I just, I would, I would be pretty miffed if Loki is at the very bottom of when I think he he is uh, in our modern day. A I'm, very, iconic I'm willing to do Con Air just because he picked a group and I he by his own admission he goes I'm cheating a little bit here. So we gotta <laughs> gotta. So we're putting an evil stepmother above Cyrus the Virus and Garland oh, yeah. Green? Yeah, evil stepmother. I mean, Garland the Green wore the person's are, head as a hat across multiple uh, states. I know, but the, 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 here's the thing the evil stepmother's a cartoon, and somehow the Con Air guys are more cartoonish than, than the evil stepmother. <laughs> I should what? we think about the another per, another villain in that we, group? I, mean, I, 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 again, I can't, like I said, comment on, on Loki or Frank Booth since, again, I just haven't actually seen those to comment, so I'll defer to you guys on, on those two. Um, well, I think the other one is, I'm, I'm sorry, Charles, Mugatu, just because he's he's not that evil, and I actually think he's right most of the movie. <laughs> Everyone around him is a moron, and he sees it. No, I don't. Um, I would... I would I'll do Con Air, Mugatu, and then we can move on. That's just my suggestion. That's fine. I'm fine with that. Okay. This is going to be tough. This is going to be tough. We have a lot to factor in. I might go Silva because, again, I do think he was actually more warranted. Yeah, it warranted in his behavior, at least for me personally. Um, I'm thinking Shooter I'm not- McGavin. <laughs> I disagree with that. I, mm, I, I think he's I'm more iconic than two thirds of this list. Uh, I, I, I think know, he's all but it's so silly. <laughs> um, you know, I I'm thinking Frank Booth is not as I think that's a little bit more of that like deep pull, and isn't I don't see him standing up against some of the other characters we have listed here. So I'm 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 saying Frank Booth should be towards. I'm fine with that. 
uh, that end. If you're factoring with, in, I, not as iconic as contemporarily iconic. I mean, I, I can't argue with that. Well, I think it's, David I mean, Lynch is what, not what, for what everyone. Is, what is the again pure label of this list? Is it most people? Is it iconic? What's the you know? What's Whatever the, we want. I think there's a few things that get factored in. I think most evil and iconic would be uh, up there. Is um, I. I There's would, also the fairness of each one of us gets someone in the bottom three. Yeah, I, I kind of, I would, I would, I would like that. I think that looks, that looks good. Remember, have. they're all on the list. They're yes. all, they're all winners. They, <laughs> all right. So I'll put Frank Booth now. We're at 18. I'm thinking, so, I, you know, I, again, with Loki, he's, he does have redemption arcs. And then was, like you said, with Silva and then also with Alex Forrest, both sympathetic characters. I mean, Alex is insane but there is a little bit of sympathy there she kind of gets thrown away she just scares me almost more than anyone on this <laughs> <list>. <laughs> i know <laughs> i would um i would be willing to put loki now down after frank okay. booth and actually can i nominate I'll, I'll actually be fair here at 17 i'll actually say alonzo because he's he's awful but like he's just a bad cop <laughs> <laughs> And he also kind of is riding that line, similar to Hannibal Lecter, where they were performances that were that won for lead uh, actor. So, um, whereas we typically, I think, think of our villains as being, you know, to, in the supporting role. Um, and I think for mine, I wouldn't mind. Taking Emperor Darcidius next. Okay. So Alonzo and then Darcidius. Okay. I think that's fine. It's going to be so funny if Shooter McGavin ends up in like the top three. I, I really <laughs> would not discount as far as iconic villain goes. He is far, far and away. I'm going to go ahead. Here. I'm going to go ahead and say Shooter McGavin here. <laughs> I, I think your, he's your way rules. higher than he should be. This is we're at 15. <laughs> he is just a bitchy golfer. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if the, if the the stakes are are fairly low, I guess if we're looking at um, he hires someone to run down another golfer on the course of this <laughs> car. Well, we didn't tell him what to do. <laughs> he hired a hitman to take out half. <laughs> I don't know, Chelsea. Are we? Um, that's fine. Okay. Yeah. Good shooter. Okay, we're now at fourteen. No, no, no hate against Goodfellas, but I don't know. Does that? Is that a top ten villain performance in your guys' eyes, or I'd be okay with it going here. Um, okay. I again, this were too. Cinderella was not in my house. I just I don't think I can have that much higher on the list. For okay. just I'm okay for with Wicked Stepmother yeah. not making the top ten. So we could put we could put her after Jimmy. Yeah. Okay. And at, at a certain point, Sam, I will tell you. Sometimes we'll start. When we get stuck. We'll go from the other end. Like what? We'll start looking at what we think one sure. should be and stuff. So. Uh, I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna be fair again here for 12. I'll put Amy Dunn, unless you guys think she should be higher. I no, think I, she's scarier than Alex Forrest. So, um, hmm. uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you because Alex kind of like, I don't know, she keeps trying to like get him, get Dan back, and Amy's just like, I will kill or do, I'll frame you for murder, I'll kill myself out of spite. Like that's well, but Alex does that in the original ending. I think I might rather be killed than have my life get ruined, though. <laughs> mm. 
Well, in the in the actual ending, Alex tries to kill him. So, Alex and then Amy? Sure. Uh, so, now we're in the top ten now. I think one of those women deserves to be in the top ten, though. Um, well, who? Or should we put someone else at 12 and bump them both up one? And that would put Amy Dunn at 10. Again, I would sort of think, at least at this point for me, either Hans or Skyfall, Silva, would be... Well, I'm so you want if we put someone else at twelve, that'll bump Alex to eleven and Amy at ten. Okay, um, and so this would be after the wicked stepmother. Yes. So we're looking at who to put. Um, Bill. Again, personally, as I say, I, I like Bill over Hans Gruber or Silva at that point. But. Hans Gruber, yeah, I I know. I'm sorry, Spencer, but no, he's fine. not as iconic for uh for me personally, but um. Um, I don't think he has think, to be that. I don't think he has to be that low on the list, but um, uh, like I think, I, we're gonna, I think we're gonna get some hate mail if he's not in the top ten. <laughs> uh, like I'd almost you can forward it to my address. It's fine. Calvin Candy. I don't know if I see that character as being in the top ten or Commodus. I mean, Cal- uh, yeah, Calvin Candy. I don't know. He's just so despicable. I mean. He's just- we can put him at 12. I'll put, okay, look, I'll put Calvin Candy at 12. And then and Alex then at 11 and Amy, Amy at 10. Sure. So now we're at nine. Could We could put Silva there. Okay. Actually, it's kind of high for him compared to what we put behind him. We could put him at 11 and then put Alex and Amy and both in the top 10. What about Silva splitting Alex and Amy? Well, I mean, you want to do that? I think I would feel better with okay. that. That's okay. Sure. <laughs> so we could do Gruber at eight because I know you guys aren't very high on him. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's time. And then at seven, uh, honestly, I'd be fine with Hans Landa at seven. We just do a back-to-back Hanses or Bill. I think Maybe. Bill is. I think Bill, I think Bill Hans, is yeah. seven. And then at six, Hans so, Landa or Commodus or John Doe. Maybe Commodus. No, See, I, I, I think John I Doe. Think Commodus over John Doe yeah. for me. Yeah. 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 I think. So John Doe at six? Yeah. Sure. Okay. And then five. Top five now. So, so we still- who we got left? We've got Bill, Commodus, Hannibal Lecter, Joker, Bill- Hans Landa. Bill- oh, no, we oh, did Bill. I'm sorry. Yeah. And we did, and we did Land. Oh, no. So, so sorry. Who do we have left? We have Commodus, Lecter, Joker, Anton, and Hans Landa. Yeah, probably go either. Hannibal or Commodus here. I think Hannibal Lecter's in the running for one. I'm not saying he is one. I was thinking putting Anton in number five. See, he might be my number one. Oh, okay. Uh, That's where, yeah, I've just never been a huge Silence of the Lambs person, so he just means less to me. Um, I mean, I kind of think, I wasn't going to pick Joker, but I think Lecter, Joker, and Anton are top three. That's my opinion. And so that would leave Commodus and Hans Land at five and four. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think they're all roles that are going to be talked about for a long time and have to continue. I mean, again, none of these are is newer than you know fifteen years old. So, but that's the other thing. We have four Oscar winning performances left. I, th- I think I'm okay with Joker ranking higher than Hannibal. I'm okay with that. And 
I feel that it should go Commodus Hannibal. Uh oh gosh. Then we have Anton Hans Lander. Hans and Joker. I'd probably go Anton number one. Probably Joker number two, Hans number three. Even though I just like the I like Inglorious Bastards so much more than I like, you know, Batman Dark Knight. But you said Joker two? You both seem to want Joker two. You and you all think that Anton is a strong enough character to put it number one. I just think he's. he's just, I I don't know. He's he's scarier than any horror movie villain. Yeah. Okay, well, just, and you did describe him as death. Like, yeah, and, and I I think Lecter should be three. He's just way too evil and iconic. I think eating people goes over being a Nazi <laughs> <laughs> and being a, a bitchy emperor. Okay, I will ding uh, the Hans character because it did force us to have to watch Christoph Waltz in a lot of annoying performances after Ooh, after that. So take from um, Chelsea. Uh, I'm saying Anton one, Joker two, Lecter three, uh, Land of four, Commodus five. I can live with that. Uh-huh. Okay, so here's our list from the backside: Conair, full cast, <laughs> uh, Mugatu. Frank Booth at 19, Loki at 18, Alonzo at 17, Darth Sidious at 16, Shooter McGavin at 15. <laughs> he, he made it pretty He made it pretty yeah. far for being a, a golfer. Uh, Jimmy Conway, 14. Uh, the Wicked Stepmother at 13. Uh, Calvin Candy at 12. Uh, Alex at 11. Silva at 10. Amy Dunn at 9. Hans Gruber at 8. Kill Bill at seven, John Doe at six, Commodus at five, uh, Hans Land at four, Hannibal Lecter at three, Joker specifically, Heath Ledger at two, and Anton Chigurh at one. I'm pretty happy with this list. I think it's a great list. Yeah. Yeah. This was so much fun, guys. Thank you so much. Um, we'll close out with our recommendations. I'll just stay in the villain lane. I finally got to see Catherine Bigelow, one of her first movies, uh, Near Dark, a vampire movie starring a lot of familiar faces from James Cameron movies. Cause I think this was about the time they were married, uh, including, um, uh, uh, oh God, what is, is it? Name? Paxton? Bill Paxton's in it. And, uh, what is the, the guy who plays Bishop and aliens like Lance Hendricks or something Ooh, like that? No, uh, he's in it. Um, and the actress who's in aliens, uh, uh she has the big gun. Oh yeah. She's yeah, in it yeah. as well. Never quite seen a vampire movie like this. It was really interesting. It definitely had a few shortcomings, but it just was shot really. I mean, Catherine Bigelow is so good about picking her shots, picking her lighting. They just looks like her. She's so good at like she takes ideas that shouldn't be good and makes them awesome. Point Break, right? Um, strange, stra- uh, strange, strange days. days. Um, I think in someone else's hands, those movies are not would not have been as good. And same in Near Dark. Here's another vampire movie. Well, it's not like any vampire movie I've ever seen. Um, it's hard to find. It's on the Criterion channel right now. If you're not subscribed to that, I don't know, you can rent it. But uh, Near Dark, it's a dope movie. Uh, for me... Oh, uh, I give it a... give it a Yeah, give it a three. Yeah, go see Near Dark. It's awesome. Three out of five? Yeah, well, we had one, two, three scale. One is avoid it. Two is get around, do it. Three is you need to see this movie. It's Got really it. cool. Uh, mine will be 2003's American Splendor, um, starring Paul Giamatti. Uh, it actually sort of inspired to rewatch that um, from a movie that came out in 2022 called Funny Pages which is sort of about this little indie movie, really not very available either, um, but about this high school kid who's sort of a burgeoning um, comic artist and 
Um, that movie went really dark and didn't actually love it so much, but rewatched American Splendor, which is based on uh, Harvey Picar, who's a, a famous Cleveland native and, again, sort of was an underground um, comic book artist, sort of more adult comics in, in the 80s. Had some really famous Letterman appearances, which I strongly recommend watching. Uh, gets really um, antagonistic, and um, but just a really sort of heartfelt, depressing sort of look into sort of, um, I don't know, some of those people in the world who just are kind of forgotten about or ignored and, and sort of seeing the the intricacies of, of what their lives are like. Nice. And you're going to give it which which number? Uh, three for, right? for American Splendor, uh, one for Funny Pages. <laughs> I am going to uh, kind of riding out that villain uh, train. Um, I watched Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, uh, Sidney Lumet's. We just watched that too. Yeah, I think it's I think it's Sidney Lumet's last film he made. It Um, was, and um, I was inspired to watch it because of the big picture doing their Philip Seymour Hoffman ranking, and that uh, was a movie I'd always heard about, never gone around to watching, and um, it's uh, it's. It was, it felt like the movies that Sidney Lumet was famous for that came out in the 70s, but being dropped into the mid 2000s. And that juxtaposition was a little jarring. Um, I, uh, but he got some super outlandish and like kooky performances out of people. Very, it was very uh, visceral. Um, and I, uh, sometimes those kind of, uh, when, when a movie is kind of like off the rails like that, it kind of loses me somehow this really worked for me. And, um, I, um, I'm also like in this like new, like Ethan Hawke appreciation era. So, um, I think he's, he's really going there for, in his performance in this and, uh, really worked on me and I will give this movie, um, a two because yeah, I have some reservations about like I know it won't work for everyone, but um, I uh, I think there's something to get from it if you do see it. I saw that when it first came. Was that like oh seven? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I've seen there. that since that came out. I back in my blockbuster days. I think I read that <laughs> one, but I, I remember nothing. Really good, amazing okay. Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. Yeah, all I remember is that he's in it, and that's yeah. <laughs> that's it. Really awesome ending, like crazy ending. Uh, Albert Finney's also in it. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. Rich Tomei is just. Lights out in it. Love Marissa uh, Tomei. Uh, so did you give it a number, Chelsea? A two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that was great. Thank you both. Uh, Sam and I will be back uh, next month to recap the Oscars. Uh, we're still on Instagram. We are not on Twitter. Uh, so check us out. I'm also on Letterboxd, Spence84. I'm on there constantly. If you want to read my stupid reviews, <laughs> you can check that out. Uh, but uh, thank you both. Thank, thank you. Thank you. So for the Marquee Spotlight, I am Spencer Bailey. I'm Chelsea Burnett. We'll see you. Thanks for listening. The Marquee Spotlight is recorded in Portland with music composed and produced by Josh Colopy and cover art created by Taylor Ingle. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates on new episodes. And if you like the show, please write a review and share with others. 